This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning. Told you so, told you so, told you so, told you so. Yesterday I said, too much publicity over Murray. This is where they start reading the stuff and they start believing that they're going to... And they lose, the, they lose sight of what they're supposed to be doing. And I said yesterday when they were saying in the papers, oh, you know, this is what Murray eats, this is what he's going to be doing. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. And, of course, it backfired yesterday. Out. And we go... Oh, well, there you go. You know, we kind of just put it down. So there's lots of pictures of, uh, of him. He wasn't up to the scratch. He wasn't up to the mark. He wasn't good enough. It's as simple as that. So he gave up his crown without a fight. And you kind of feel a bit resigned, don't we? go, well, you know, perhaps there's always tiddlywinks or something like that. Uh, the contestant on The X Factor. Oh, dear. And Leon Britton's very faulty memory. I think there's a time bomb. I think there is a time bomb waiting to go off in Westminster. Because these documents, given by Geoffrey Dickens, and I remember Geoffrey Dickens, the MP, for some years ago. He's dead now. But I remember him, and he was always one of those big red-faced men who looked like he drank like a fish. But uh, he had this document, which he gave to Leon Britton, and then it got handed over to the police, and then it disappeared. And this apparently was supposed to be a, a list of VIP child abusers in Westminster. In Westminster, which I'm assuming there's a lot of people in Westminster breathing a sigh of relief. Oh, thank God for that. They've shredded the thing. It'll take a long time to find that information again. Where it came from, I don't know. I don't believe it just could have come from Geoffrey Dickens. So that's an interesting one. And now they're saying, and they're calling it openly a Westminster paedophile ring. Well, you know, in Washington, in Washington, there was a huge paedophile ring going on within the, uh, within the Senate. And there were lots of young men who were abused there. And there were lots of young people working within Westminster. I would be remiss not to say that out of the hundreds of MPs, there would be some who would be interested in, uh, in young boys or young girls. This paedophile ring, to me, doesn't sound like young girls. It sounds like boys within Westminster. And so it'll be quite interesting to see where it goes from here. They're obviously not going... They're going to be like a dog, aren't they, with this one? They're going to hang on to it for as long as possible. But they've lost it. Apparently, it might, according to some of the papers, have been destroyed. Now, either that means it was way too sensitive and it went right up to the top, because there are questions, are there not? There are sort of MPs. I mean, Cyril Smith... I thought everybody knew about Cyril Smith years and years ago. And then there are other people over the years who have died, and, and I can think of... Well, I can think of four names off the top of my head. They're not alive anymore, so I can't, uh, I can't libel them. But there were questions asked about their sexuality, but it never went anywhere at all. Never went anywhere. And so I wonder, on this VIP list, would there have been these names? But because they can't find the list, we're never going to know, unless people start speculating. And that's what I reckon the papers will start doing next. They will start speculating on what names could be on the list. You know, people who aren't alive anymore... And I should imagine Cyril Smith's family weren't expecting that one after he was dead to raise its ugly head and come back again to haunt them. Because they must have known about it. I thought everybody knew about Cyril Smith. He was, you know, he was the big fat MP for Rochdale. And you just looked at him and think, I don't think you're interested in, in sort of women at all. But then, you know, nobody knows the extent of anything. And it isn't till they die that people become brave, because before then, like in the case of Savile, exactly in the case of Savile, the reason Savile was never exposed while he was alive... It's because he threatened to sue every time. And unless people had the proof of it, because nobody was coming forward, so they, they knew the rumours, they knew roughly what was going on, but they couldn't prove it. 
and he just threatened them with litigation, and the papers backed off. All the big main papers. You'd think they, they would have been brave and gone with it, but they didn't. And then, of course, that was the, uh, the, his association with, with the royal family, and they didn't want to do it for that reason as well. And, that, and I heard another name, a household name, who was around about the same time, and somebody said, is this person going to be exposed? And they went, mm, no, because he's, he's got the wholesome image. There's still stories about Rolf Harris in the paper today. This time it's a boy in, uh, in Australia... Do you know that Rolf Harris appeared on a list a while ago of the uh, of the 100 most trusted Australians? He was number 90. Admittedly, wasn't wasn't exactly up there in the in the top 10, but he was classed as trusted. And I spoke to Andrew Pierce yesterday when he came on to do the papers. I bumped into him upstairs, and he said he said I, at one point he said I was sort of thinking he's definitely it's Rolf Harris. He's going to be innocent. It's Rolf Harris. It's Rolf Harris. I mean, it'd be like reading something about your favourite person who is, you know, the household name, who is the all-encompassing children's entertainer, the person who who would just embody everything that was good. You know, Rolf was a painter, a singer, a songwriter, did all his kid shows, and then you start thinking about it, and you start thinking, oh, maybe not. Maybe not. And so that's why the, the papers were, were running with it, and are still running with it. And there's more... More, but yes, the car was late this morning, Dan. Thank you. Yes, it was, actually. He said, I caught a glimpse of you at 20 to 3. <laughs> yes, it did turn up late. We need to sort of, we need to sort of reshut. Because I didn't get in here till gone 3, which is lovely. They always park away from the door. You think, you know, get out a duckboard and I'll walk to the door from here. <laughs> Just make it more... Why they can't pull up outside the, the front door? I've got no idea, but uh, you're right. Uh, 84850... Steve at lbc.co.uk. Everything we shall weave in, all your texts and emails, everything good, bad, indifferent. You know, we shall do the lot of them. I'm not really that bothered this morning. I'm feeling in a, feeling in a fairly chipper mood because I'm going out to do Alexander Armstrong after we finish the programme. It's quite, I was thinking about it the other day, actually. It's quite luxurious. The producer phones you and goes, OK, uh, Alexander Armstrong for tomorrow for In Conversation. Yes, that's lovely. Uh, is he coming into the studio? No, they'd like you to go there. Uh, don't worry, they'll, they'll send a car for you. And you think, it's quite grand, isn't it, really? It's quite grand that I sort of, I finish work, I better have a light breakfast. Well, none at all, really. And then I shall, um, what shall I do then? Oh, yes, I should probably then, I fancy a toasted bacon sandwich this morning. I've got a thing about toasted bacon. Although we do have a sherry trifle cake from Marks and Spencer's, which hasn't been cut yet. I mean, I'm not sort of saying anything about it. I'm just, you know, just sort of wondering what it looks like. It smells quite nice. Marks and Spencer's launched their Christmas range yesterday. It's not on sale yet. But they've got the Christmas range, and they were telling it. One of them is a Christmas cake with lights on it. As opposed to candles, this has got lights, and I thought, brilliant. Quite fancy that idea. And some, some other things, some pies. So I'm getting quite, quite excited, actually, for today. So I go and do the interview, and then, luckily, at the end of the road, where this facility is, uh, I just get the bus. I came out last time, they said, do you want a cab? I said, no, no, no. To be honest with you, I can get through just as quickly on a bus. And it doesn't cost anything. And so you sort of... I walked to the end of their road, which is about 30 seconds, and I looked on the big board, like I did the other day, and you go, Waterloo Station, and just as I was looking at it, blow me down, a bus comes along with Waterloo written on the front of it. All roads lead to Waterloo, I thought. So I just, I just got on it and arrived the other end, and it was, it was quite nice. The weather's going to be uh, hot today. I'm not looking forward to the hot, but I did drive to the Brothers yesterday, and I did drop the shirts off, but I also went to Marks & Spencer's and bought him loads of cakes. 
Didn't buy him the sherry trifle cake, and I kept that one. Decided to bring it in here to try. Because I quite fancy, because I don't know if it's going to be like a sherry trifle, but compressed into sponge. I've got no idea what it is, or whether it's just a flavouring, or whether or not we're actually going to be salivating at the very idea that it's a... Because I love sherry trifle. Love sherry. My mother used to make the best sherry trifle ever. In fact, you could get completely tiddled uh, on her sherry trifle, because she'd get a bit carried away. And she start putting... And sometimes I say, well, as, as I've t- said to you before, if, if she tried the sherry trifle over Christmas, because we always used to do Christmas dinner, and then there would be a choice of either Christmas pudding, which nobody wanted. You had to have it because it was traditional, but to be honest with you, you felt like it was pouring lead into your, into your stomach. Or she'd do a sherry trifle. But because my mother wasn't really a drinker, a spoonful of sherry in the tr- was enough to reduce her to tears. And so you would go into the kitchen sometime going, Mum... And all you'd hear is, <laughs> and you'd go in the kitchen, she'd be, she'd be on her knees in front of the cooker, clinging onto the top of it, crying with laughter, because she'd made the, she'd made the sherry trifle. I go, oh, right, lot of sherry, as usual, you know. I mean, you could actually stagger out of our house after Christmas lunch, but she spent most of her time crying with laughter in the kitchen. I mean, it was hilarious to watch. Sometimes she got a bit stressed with it, and then it turned to tears. I mean, sometimes she'd... She'd, just, she'd be making the sherry trifle, but at the same time, she'd be trying to put peas and sweet corn into a saucepan with water. And then she'd turn to me, she'd go, I've done the peas. And I was never sure if she meant in the saucepan or not, because it's difficult to tell with some people, because they sort of kind of wet themselves at the stage. But she laughed all the way through Christmas. And then all of a sudden, she'd go from sort of, ha, ah, and then all of a sudden, nothing at all. And you weren't sure if she was still with us. 84850, steve at There is a story in the paper today about a, a man who is fighting to stop a court ruling, putting his wife in a home. They've been together 58 years. He doesn't want her to go in a home. He wants to stay with her. And I'm sick to death of courts interfering with these sort of family uh, things. Mind your own bloody business. It's annoying. They've been together for years, OK? You don't want to separate them. You don't want to separate them. Um, lots of pictures of Murray. It's all over. OK, forget about it. Let's go on for something else. Talk about something else. Jason Manford's testicular cancer. Some of these people thrive on the publicity, don't they? You know, and Jason Manford then is so patronising, he then says, um, oh, I urge all men to check. All men do check, Jason. They do check, you know. And uh, so he goes on television because he'll, he'll, any opportunity to sort of flog a dead horse, uh, he'll go on there. And so it, it fills up a page, fills up a page of Jason Manford telling us that he's been hit by a cancer scare. He hasn't, hasn't been to the doctors yet. Hasn't even been to the, he's found a little lump. Could be all sorts of things. But uh, he'll go there, and no doubt there'll be a feature in OK magazine, and then Jason will be booking his tour out, and they'll do it on the strength that catch him while he's still here, I suppose. Uh, Very interesting that there was a story the other day about uh, a radio station, which you and I fund, and how they're getting rid of various people, and it made it sound like they'd been fired from this particular radio station. And I remember talking to somebody the other day. Well, in fact, Andrew... Actually, it was Andrew Pearce, and he was saying... He said, it's so annoying... He said, these people haven't been fired. They just don't want to live in Salford, you know, which is the, the pits of the world. And so they'd rather go somewhere else. They'd rather sort of come back down to... Who wants to live in Salford? Hello? Hands up. Oh, just one of you again. Nobody wants to live in... Are you eating the cake? All right. Has he cut the cake yet? Has he cut it? What does it look like inside? Does it look like sherry trifle? Does it look nice? It tastes like cake. Does it, does it taste like cake? Oh, right. Oh, try it. We should have the taste. Oh, right. Oh, OK. We can have a taste test. Can't wait to try this one. It was quite exciting, actually, didn't it? Quarter past four. This is LBC. 
Ferrari and the team this morning. It's Thursday, so it's called Clegg Day. You can call him and ask him why we're not much good at tennis now. After Andy Murray was knocked out of Wimbledon a year after he won it. I think too much publicity. You know, he's become very big, very famous, and all of a sudden they kind of forget where they're going, and perhaps they think, oh, I'm really good first year, and they don't try. I don't think they actually try as well. Nickleby wants to know how the country... Uh, needs to get better at sports. And as Nice introduced new guidelines, Nick will be asking two mums, how safe is it to co-sleep with your baby? Camilla Tomine, the Royal Editor at the Sunday Express, we're looking through the papers. So, Sherry Trifle, Marks and Spencers. Is there any sherry in it, you have to ask yourself? And it says, infused with sherry syrup. Whatever that is. But I remember having an issue with Marks and Spencers... Last Christmas, over their mince pies, which they said drenched with brandy. And I looked at it, and it was like less than 1% of brandy. It's not drenched. Drenched is where, you know, because they use the word drenched when they do cornflakes, and they drench it in ice-cold milk. That means you're absolutely smothered in it. Well, this thing, if this had any sherry in it, you'd have to probably sell it with a guideline that nobody under 18 could buy the blooming thing. So let's have a little... Hmm. Tastes a bit marzipan-y, doesn't it, really? Which is odd, because it's a bit almond, that's right. That was the word I was looking for. It's sort of... It's quite nice. <laughs> so, sorry, how rude. How rude. What is that presenter doing? He's eating on there. I never do things like that. Well, it's quite nice. It's quite nice, but it's not really sherry. A sherry syrup, I don't know what that is. And, and apparently it's, it's mainly sugar, this thing, so expect the programme to take an upward turn in about five minutes as the sugar hits. It's, it's not bad, though, but it needs a bit more. It needs a bit more... I don't know, it's obviously like a jam kind of thing in the middle, isn't it, which they've sort of spread over it. Yes, it's a bit, yes, a bit like a cherry... I like cherry bakewells. They're quite nice. My favourite, though, cream horns. So I love cream horns. My mother used to make cream horns. In fact, my mother was a little bit mad in the kitchen because, A, she cooked which is quite an unusual thing in this day and age, as we were saying yesterday when we looked at Victoria Beckham and we decided that she wouldn't even know how to turn the oven on. I wouldn't have thought... I bet everything in her house is reheated or we've sent out for takeaway pizza. That, that's, what I, that's what I reckon it is. But my mother cooked. But every recipe she made, it came out in miniature. So if the recipe said, uh, make six cream horns, she made 20. And they'd just be small. They were all bite-sized. It was like bite-sized patisserie. And she did little cream slices, cream horns... She was constantly in the kitchen baking. Friday was baking day. She would make her Simnel cakes. She used to make a delicious, absolutely melt-in-your-mouth um, cherry cake. I don't know what it was, but it was absolutely delicious. So every time I went round there, she'd always have done a, a load of things for me to take back. Rock cakes. We used to make loads of rock cakes. Rock cakes with currants in. She was, she was a good cook, no doubt about it. Because in, in the early days, as most ladies will tell you listening at the moment, and some gentlemen, there was no such thing as... A sort of fresh, uh, sorry, a, a sort of uh, food that was uh, sort of ready to go. You made everything. You know, if you wanted to do an apple pie, you went to the apple tree at the bottom of the garden, picked some apples or some windfalls and brought them back and made an apple pie. My mum made pastry, puff pastry. Although towards the end of her life, she decided it was easier to buy puff pastry than it was to make the blooming stuff. Um, yes, you're quite right. At, I tell you what I've noticed, Dan, about the bus stops. Aren't people who stand at bus stops filthy, dirty people? The rubbish that is on the ground by bus stops. I wouldn't mind, but in Twickenham, they've moved the bus stops. The council and their infinite wisdom, barking mad as usual. So they put the bus stops in, they put a bin in, and what do people do? They throw their food on the ground. They throw their wrappings on the ground. Peasants. 
absolutely disgusting. Cigarettes everywhere. You've never seen anything like it. It is awful. I mean, really, really dreadful. Um, it is that one down as well. It is that, that radio station. So th- these people weren't pushed. They didn't want to live in, uh, in Salford. They wanted to get some sort of life because nobody wants to live up there and they were offering two-year contracts. They thought, no, we go, go for something else. Makes more sense, doesn't it, really? Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Biggins is hilarious, says Claire. Oh, there's no doubt at all. I've had loads of dinners with, uh, with Biggins. He's very good company. He just la- he laughs as well. All the way through it. We had a very funny Christmas, which I'd love to tell you about one year. But we might have to say it. Um, and Karen says, I've tried the sherry trifle cake you're talking about. I mean, it's, to be honest with you, at this time of the morning, it's quite nice. You know, with a cup of tea, it's actually quite nice. I wouldn't sort of, you know, I think you could probably do better, sponge-wise, and it doesn't taste at all like sherry trifle. But it sounds good, doesn't it? Sherry trifle cake. Uh, other, um, other things which are coming in as well. I like to check everything that's sort of going on at the moment. I'm trying to get, uh, trying to get round all these things. Uh, Malcolm says, why don't the English admit they're totally useless as far as sports is concerned? They couldn't win a game of tiddlywinks. Yes, I mean, I, I have to be honest. Well, actually, probably tiddlywinks we would be good at. We can do, we can do curling, can't we? And we could do synchronised swimming. Can't we do something like that? Anything that involves a broom, I suppose, and cleaning. We're very good at it, so that's why we'd be good at curling. And then I sort of, and I sort of watch us. And, and you know, it's great. When Murray won, I mean, the whole country went, went berserk, didn't it? We all got very excited. Yeah, Murray won, Murray won. And then you start reading, and they start doing exactly the same as they did with Tim Henman. I never quite understood how Tim Henman got anywhere. He never seemed to win anything. You know, they all stood out there and cheered like sort of a bunch of seals. And they did exactly the same for Murray. He walks onto court, and of course the crowd are sort of, yeah, Murray, Murray, Murray. Must have made the other guy feel absolutely awful. And uh, it's, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame, really, that you can't sort of try and hold somebody back and, and say to them, listen, don't do any interviews, don't do the publicity, concentrate on playing tennis. Concentrate on playing tennis. That would be, that would be easier. You know, stop giving interviews to the press. Concentrate on playing tennis. You know, don't sit there and sort of bask in the adulation when you haven't won anything. And now he's out. Um, It's libel uh, on the radio. It's libel on the radio. It's not slander, it's libel. I've explained this. I can only explain it to you once. If you're too thick, then that's your problem. It's libel on the radio because it's seen as print. Uh, another one here. Now that Andy Murray's out, we won't have listened to that annoying voice and his mum gets on my nerves. Yes, I'll be glad to see the back of her as well. She's obviously revelling in the publicity, but God knows she might turn up on the Strictly Come Dancing programme. <laughs> uh, Kevin says, you said that Victoria Beckham couldn't turn the oven on. Well, knowing that, David has probably wandered a few times. It seems that the cooker is not the only thing she can't turn on. It's such an old gag. It's such an old gag. We love them. Actually, the funny thing was, yesterday, they managed to get more publicity than I've ever seen in one day. Because they both... How they worked that out? They both appeared to have, sort of... He had his underpant thing, and she had the front cover of Vogue. Where it makes her look very, sort of, demure, as if she's sort of moved up into the higher echelons of society. Which I'm not, not totally convinced that she has. <laughs> Lisa says, your mum sounded lovely. Mad as a fruit bat, I'm afraid. Mad as a fruit bat. I remember saying to her once, my mother was one of those people. I don't, it might, might apply to, uh, to other people as well. She had driving shoes. Do some of you ladies have driving shoes? In other words, you'll be walking in one pair of shoes, but when you get in the car to drive, you put on a pair of comfy flats. Is that, is that quite... I mean, that appeared to me quite normal. So she would get in the car, but before she got in the car, she would change her shoes for her driving shoes. And she spent ages adjusting the seat. Ages and ages. I just liked it. It just made me laugh. 
actually, just, you know, there were certain things she did that made me laugh, and certain things you think, I'm quite lucky, you know, with, with my family. I mean, most of them are actually quite, quite normal. Well, I say most of them are quite normal. We've got, we've got a few odd ones in the family, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> 84850, steve at uk. It's lovely, isn't it? Uh, I love stuff like that. And uh, everything we read out, uh, to be honest, it was a shock to me, says Connie. The jury found Rolf Harris guilty. I didn't believe a word about the accusations, because 50 years ago, when my husband was a young boy, my husband ret- met Rolf Harris in Shepherd's Bush, and he had a great conversation with him, and he did a drawing. He was very nice. Well, that's that's why it's so hurtful. That's why it's so hurtful, isn't it? When you actually realise that uh, underneath all of that was this uh, was this sexual predator. I mean, you, I mean, you just didn't want to believe it, did you? I think most people seem to be of that opinion. They didn't want to believe it. Anyway, the uh, the Mirror are today saying that uh, he spent his penultimate day of freedom sorting out his personal affairs as he awaits his fate at the hands of the judge. And uh, presumably then they'll take away the CBE and his paintings, which sold for thousands. There's one woman in the paper today who spent £28,000 on one of his pictures. Well, it's not going to be worth anything like that now, is it? Or is it? Will it have notoriety? I mean, the craze pictures, you know, if, if, if somebody is, uh, is a bad person, generally speaking, the price of it goes... You can still buy pictures done by Adolf Hitler. You can still get things like that, so they still command a price. Whether or not something done by Rolf Harris will ever achieve that price again, I have no idea. I interviewed him as he was about to launch a... Uh, a gallery uh, pictures, and unfortunately threatened to punch my, my producer in the face because she wouldn't uh, tell him uh, when the programme was being transmitted. Because sometimes we don't know, because we have so many interviews in the, in the pipeline that they, they sit there, and we don't really know whether or not they're going to be transmitted this week or whether it's next week. And sometimes they're dateless. If it's a book, it, it goes into our folder as dateless. If it's something that is, you know, this coming weekend, it's got to run this weekend, because otherwise we're going to look a bit silly. So, in the case of uh, Rolf Harris, in fact, the, the producer tweeted it the other day, put it on Facebook, and said that, uh, that he threatened to punch her in the face because she wouldn't tell him when it, when it was going to be transmitted. So, there you go. So, quite clearly, not a very pleasant person. But it's funny, isn't it? Your perception of somebody changes dramatically. And I was talking to Andrew Pierce about it the other day. We were both disappointed because I felt that he'd let us down and everybody else down. Because we bought into Rolf Harris, you know, we bought into his wobble board. I went on to YouTube earlier, I was watching him at Glastonbury. And all I kept thinking was, oh God, is he scanning the crowd? Is he looking for somebody? The boy in Australia is now 54, who said he was molested by Rolf Harris uh, when his parents took him to one of the shows. So the story goes on. Ozzy Osbourne's in the papers as well today on his wife, death and kicking drugs and booze. Well, I'll tell you what I watched the other day. Eight out of ten cats and Lauren Laverne. Liberally using the F word. Really very disappointing. Very disappointing. Shows a very common upbringing, I'm afraid. 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. 26 minutes to uh, five. Noreen, a bit of, a, a bit of an incident the other night, because they're in this rented house in Dorset. Dorset. 8pm last night. Very, very loud thud. Several alarms going off really loud. Phoned the owner. He came round, changed several batteries. I don't think any of us knew what it was. We wondered if a bird flew into an alarm. They do that, don't they? Birds sometimes fly into windows or they fly into alarms or, worse still, they fly down the chimney. Good job, she said. It was 8pm, not the middle of the night. And if you are going to Bletchley Park, which I am, it's amazing. She said it'll be a good day out for you. Be wary of eating. The facilities when we were last, they're very basic, like a school canteen. I quite like school canteens, but I'll tell you the one thing. When I was younger, we never had in our school canteen, there was no fried food. 
We never had chips. Never had chips at all. It was cabbage. I can't tell you what any of the main courses were. Can't tell you any of the main courses at all. I cannot remember that. I remember the abiding smell of Swede. Ugh. Coming in these metal tins, because I was table monitor. And cabbage. And mashed potato. And uh, a metal sort of type metal thing for, for the gravy. And for the water as well. Everybody drank water. There were no fizzy drinks. We didn't have... I don't think I ever knew what a fizzy drink was. We had, we had orange squash. Not at school we didn't. At school it was all water. Nowadays it's all, they've probably got school tuck shops and stuff like that and they have fizzy drinks and kids take it to school. And they, we didn't have anything like that at all. We didn't have any cakes or, or anything. But we did used to have puddings and it would be something like either semolina, tapioca, ugh, rice pudding. I quite like rice pudding, I can, unless it's got a skin on it, in which case it makes me feel queasy. And uh, Spotted Dick, we had a suet suet roll kind of thing, which I just remember was like a jam roly-poly, I suppose it would have been. And that came with custard, that was quite nice. But by the time the custard got to you, it had a skin on the top, and you had to cut through this. Oh, horrible, absolutely horrible. But, uh, but, that, but I can't remember what we had for main courses. I suppose it, we might have had sort of like a minced beef pie, would that have been? In fact, it actually sounds quite appealing now, so I don't have a problem with school dinners. Or something like that. <laughs> I think that's why it's quite funny. Here's a picture of Kelly Brook out with her photographer again. Because nobody knows who she is over in America. She's not at all known. She's just a very plain-looking person walking down the street with the Neanderthal boyfriend, who apparently they're going to get married. <laughs> right. How hilarious. He's an ex-gladiator. Seems to be an ex-everything, actually. He doesn't appear to actually have a job at the moment. He's a bit like Jordan's husband, isn't he? He's a plasterer and a, and a, and a stripper, but then the stripping is finished. And uh, we don't think he's done much plastering, either. Which is a shame. So, uh, here they go, out in Santa Monica. Well, nobody would know who they were in Santa Monica. They're both very, very chav. Even by... I mean, San, Santa Monica is actually full of really, really fit people, and they run everywhere. You can wake up in the morning, and all the way along the beach at Santa Monica, there's a, there's a concrete track, and people are on these... Uh, two-wheeled bicycle-type things, which you stand upright on and you don't fall over. People are running, people are jogging, people are taking their dogs for a walk. Nobody walk. They're, they're actually come out of a gym and they walk. You don't need to go to a gym. You just need to run along Santa Monica Boulevard all the way up to Venice Beach, turn around, come all the way back again. That'll keep you fairly fit. But she always looks as miserable as sin, poor soul. But uh, there again, you know, the photographer's with her. You know, Take a quick picture of you. Nobody knows who she is out there. She's a nobody. Not much of a person over here at all, really. Um, Doctor Who, writer, fear, ratings, plunge. That's the headline. As, uh, they say it could be the end of soaps in ten years' time. They reckon that TV soaps could die out if they fail to stop sliding ratings. I don't know what makes people watch a soap nowadays. I watch them occasionally, but I do dip in and out. I'm not particularly fussed either way. I don't, I don't rush home. To go, oh, gosh, I've really got to go and see this. I've really got to go and see this. I'm, that really doesn't bother me in the slightest. I don't think like that. If I'm in and the soap is on, then I'll watch a bit of it. And if I'm not in, then I don't really care. I don't even follow the stories in the newspapers, and they don't bother printing the stories anymore. But uh, Russell T. Davis, who reinvented Doctor Who, says, I think that soaps are in trouble and need to be careful. You can see a television landscape in ten years' time where they won't exist will be reduced. Yes, it'll be... We'll have early morning reality shows, won't we? That's what we'll have, because they're the cheapest things to do. And so we will, we will be able to go out there, turn on the television, see all your favourite has-beens, and that's where they will be. I see Brendan O'Carroll is uh, off out touring again. Uh, and Mrs Brown's boys. So they've got the film out. I don't know what the film's doing. I don't know what sort of business it's doing. But now he's doing London, the O2. Leeds, uh, first director, Arena, Birmingham, LG. It's all arenas, isn't it? 
It's all arenas, because that's where they make the money. So if he can make thirty, forty thousand pounds 40000 a night... Because I'm, I'm imagining that Michael McIntyre makes a small fortune because he plays arenas. Because, but you spend all your time watching the big screens. Because you can't see the little dot. If you're at the back of some of these arenas, it's hilarious. You can't see anything at all. I don't know how big the O2 is, but I'm assuming it's fairly big. I've never been there. I'm assuming if you sit at the back, you must be, it must be a nightmare for you. An absolute nightmare. Len in Manchester says, your show's turned me into an insomniac. Possibly. Possibly. That could be true. That could be... If I was waking up first thing in the morning, or if I happened to wake up and the radio was on in the background and you start listening to somebody and they start talking about something you're interested in or something you get annoyed about, you keep listening. You don't... You, it's, it's like being in front of the television. Sometimes you haven't got the strength, have you, to stand up and, and turn the television off. It's a bit difficult to do. So I was watching a programme this morning and it was one of those police camera things. And I just, I just love them. I absolutely love them. I can't get enough of these programmes. It's almost like a drug to me. I love watching... I mean, I so want to be a policeman for a day. You know, I just want to go out there in a car and go, you, over. And in Australia, as I pointed out before, they have the Australian cops, and they're very... They're far too easygoing. They're far too easygoing. I mean, our lot, we'd have them pinned to the ground immediately. Over there, they go, oh... They, they, were, they were doing some people who turned up to a prison to visit an old lag in there, and they turned up, they were smoking drugs in the car, and you think, but you're going into a prison, I mean, you can't be that thick, and then you listen to some of these little scrotes talking, they were that thick, they were that thick, and, and, and then they found more drugs in the car and paraphernalia, so he went, uh, well, you're not coming in to the prison today, what's that, goes this Neanderthal, this was the girl, and he goes, because you, you have, it'll go, go before a judge, because you've been found with drugs in the car. And they were so thick and stupid. You could understand that they had a friend who was in Nick because they were that dumb. And, and then he sort of said, well, you've got this and this. He said, it'll be a three-month ban before you can come back again. So she said, what happens if we get caught again? He said, well, it could be a year ban. And I thought, you really are stupid, aren't you? It's, it's a bit difficult to understand. There was, a, there was a bloke on the television the other day on the Jeremy Kyle show or as I prefer to call it, stains on the television. And there they all were. And this time it was the biggest... F- she made Gemma Collins look almost sylph-like. She was enormous. And the boyfriend had cheated on her and he'd failed the lie detector. And so they're screaming to each other and he's lying. He's going, it's not true. It's not true, babe. It's not true. They call them all babe. I think because they look like pigs, most of them. And they... Uh, I just thought that one then, actually. That was quite good for this time of the morning. And so I'm sort of watching them argue. And then, of course, she does the whole drama bit. Oh, no, I don't want to see you ever again. And the audience clap and cheer and whoop because they think it's going to be, a, you know, at least a murder, at least a murder backstage where somebody clobbers Jeremy Kyle over the head and goes, go away, you nasty little naff person. But uh, that didn't happen. The blokes and Jeremy Kyle say, listen, mate, listen, because he, he tries to be friend to all the chavs. He is, he, he's, he's king of the chavs. When, when it comes to chavdom, they obviously sort of say to him, listen, Jeremy, I like you, mate, I like you. I'm going to have to pretend that I, I'm going to hit you or something like that. Jeremy goes, yeah, let's make a good TV programme, that's good for you. And so this bloke's going, it's not true, babe. And Jeremy's going to him, listen, why don't you just man up and tell her the truth? Don't lie, we've got the, the lie detector tests here. And meanwhile, the fat girl is getting really angry and really upset, and she's really, she's crying, I don't want to see you ever again, and the audience are whooping and clapping. And I'm, I'm thinking, I need to start drinking more, because I need to kind of get over this addiction to watching this programme, because these people are so vile. And then I suddenly realised, standing at the bus stops in Twickenham, there they all are again. They're standing by the bus stops, obviously trying to get the bus to the Jeremy Kyle show, dropping their rubbish all over the place, and said, oh, God, it's like pond life. 
You know, really, who'd want to be a bus driver? Who would want to be a bus driver? At least if you're a train driver, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because you don't have to see the pass. You just pull into a station, the doors open, the little guard at the back goes, ting, 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 and then off he, off he drives again. And that's quite easy. Morning, ladies and gentlemen, this is your guard speaking. Although we seem to have all sorts of guards on at the moment, some whose English is very good, some whose English is maybe not so good. Uh, they tell you where we're going to. And then it sort of flashes up there. But if you're the train driver, that's easy. The only thing you've got to watch out about is people throwing themselves in front of the train. As we discovered yesterday, about nearly 300 people a year throw themselves in front of trains. And so drivers get traumatised, as indeed you would. I know a train driver who was, who was traumatised by somebody on the underground. And he said, I knew he was going to throw himself in front of the train. He said, I just knew. He said, because I could see as I was coming into the station. That's why when trains come into the station now on the underground, they come in slow. Years ago, they would ram it in there. They would really go fast. Now they come in slow because there were a number of people who wanted to commit suicide. People who are, you know, not all there in the upstairs departments. I noticed the other day, though, did you, did you read, you probably heard it on, uh, on LBC as well, the, uh, the woman who was the, uh, the one who fronted up one of the, uh, the killers of Lee Rigby. She's been detained under the Mental Health Act uh, because she was racially abusing uh, somebody in a store and so they, they put a watch on her and, um, and they've now detained her under the Mental Health Act. She was known as the Angel of Woolwich. Do you remember her? She pe- appeared on all the television programmes and um, she was praised by David Cameron for her actions and now she's been detained. She was under investigation following claims a shop worker was racially abused and on the first anniversary, she returned to the scene and said it had been a waste of three lives. But uh, obviously she's got some sort of... Uh, you have to have something to be able to sort of front people, front people up like that. But anyway, she's been uh, taken to hospital. So they're going to be looking after her. It's odd, isn't it? There are more people like that. Sometimes, I'm never sure now. When you walk past somebody on the street and they're talking away, I don't know if they're actually... They've got some mental illness or whether they've actually got a hidden telephone and they're talking to themselves. Because you get people saying, oh, oh, oh. You think, are you talking to the phone? Because I never know. Quarter to five. Morning, every 13 minutes to five. Thursday morning. We're whizzing through. It's going to be very hot today. Anil says, watching Biggins on MasterChef, he's doing well. He's, he, he is, he's very good at things like that. Although he, he, he wasn't quite as brilliant on Come Dime. Well, he was actually very brilliant because he won Come Dime with me. But I think that's just his, uh, his personality that comes through. Asher is still on hospital radio. Still there. And uh, Carol is following which is good, and Phil, and somebody says here, woke up at 3.30, Steve, squeezed in an episode of A Little Bit Extra before being part of the 4am live spike. Absolutely perfect. Thank you very much indeed. We like, uh, we like perfect people, Mr Rawlings. It's as simple as that. We don't like anything too complicated, do they? Uh, 84850. Uh, somebody says maybe she was traumatised by what those scambags did to that poor young man. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't do medical histories of people. I have no idea at all. Unless I know somebody's medical history. I don't know. She might have been ill before that. Who knows? Who knows? But obviously they were, they were sort of watching her because there was obviously something about to, uh, to kick off. Joanna says it's unlikely Andy Murray was going to win Wimbledon. There's only four men since records began of one Wimbledon when they were already the reigning Wimbledon champion. OK. I mean, to be honest, I think that the whole Murray thing was too much publicity. You know, there's a limit to how many times you can pat somebody on the back and say, "Good, you're wonderful. It's wonderful. It's like, you know, when, when the audience figures for this programme go up, I always say exactly the same to everybody. They go, oh, you must be really pleased, you know, top-rated programme, great audience figures. I go, listen, they might go down next time. I don't know. 
So I try not to get too excited about it, because I've been in the business long enough to know that everything goes up, down, sideways, flattens out, bottoms out. It does all sorts of things. So I never get too excited. Otherwise, you know, you might go, oh, yeah, fantastic. And we've had it before, because every, every three months... I think it's every three. I can't remember what it is now. We have our figures meeting and we sit down and they go through all the programmes bit by bit. And if your programme ratings are good, then that's wonderful. If your programme ratings are not good, you come out feeling very depressed. So I always say to people, listen, don't, don't worry about it. If, if they're up, they're up. Just, you know, take it and go, that's fine. Thank you very much indeed. If they drop down a little bit next time round, say, don't worry, because next time round they'll go up again. You haven't done anything differently. It's just that maybe some people were away on holiday. Some people didn't tune in. Or maybe there was something you said that might have upset one person. And that can affect all sorts of things. So I never bother about it. But I think in the case of Andy Murray, when you've got TV and radio and magazines and just about everybody in the world who wants to talk to you, you kind of lose your way a bit and you start believing the publicity. And then perhaps in the back of their mind, their agent's going, listen, doesn't it? if it all goes pear-shaped, it doesn't matter. Get your job as a commentator. And you can be a commentator and go around the world, you know, doing commentaries for it. You know, and at least you've got that. You were the Wimbledon champion. And I always go, yeah, OK, fine, fine. But then I didn't think there was much hope this year. I didn't think there was much hope. Far too much publicity. Far too much. Uh, elderly people with artery problems. You've got artery problems, ladies and gentlemen. You can now walk better after eating dark chocolate. Apparently dark chocolate is good for you. It's got stuff in there. They reckoned uh, the compound in cocoa called polyphen. What is it? Polyphenols. Phenols. Polyphenols. I've never heard of them before. It boosts blood flow. Dark chocolate used on 14 men and 6 women in age 60 to 78 had a cocoa content of more than 85%. Remember years ago they used to sell Bourneville chocolate as X-rated chocolate for adults. And I used to, I used to like a bar of Bourneville many years ago. Not now. And so what they've done, this, not in this country, but it's the American Heart Association. They found milk chocolate failed to enhance performance, but dark chocolate was the one you should be going for. So that's, uh, that's why. That's why you have to go for dark chocolate. I always think milk, unless you're going to go for one of those, um, who's that company that make all the chocolate? Something in black. Is it, what's that? Green and black. And you've got to go for the maximum amount of cocoa in there. Because if you look at milk chocolate, it might only have 13% cocoa. So it's, it's really very, very weak. If you go to green and black or some of the other specialist companies, they do, they do cocoa with sort of 55, 60% of chocolate. Tastes completely different. They do an 80%, do they? Blimey. No, not for me either. I think if it, I remember trying something once. They brought some in for me. In fact, they sent in tons of it, and, and it was quite high. But it was literally like a spoonful of cocoa powder in your mouth. It was that. Eh. But some people like it. It was very expensive at one time. Chocolate and was kept locked away in a little tiny box and be brought out for special occasions. Now you take it for granted. You go out and you buy a bar of chocolate and you eat it, and it's either, you know, Cadbury's dairy milk or. You know, milk and nuts and stuff like that, milk and raisins. There's so many different variations of chocolate bars. But if you're buying proper, proper chocolate, then you want to go to a company that's doing it above 50%. That's, that's proper chocolate. Uh, 84850. School dinner, says Linda. I had the same as you. Strange as I was in school 20 years before you. In my day, grey gristle where the meat might have been. I, don't, I can't remember any meat at all at school. I mean, if we did have anything, I'm sure it must have been. In fact, it's making me hungry now because I quite liked it. Uh, it's sort of like mincemeat in a thing with onions and everything else, and then they put a pastry over the top. And so when you cut it into slices, if you were very clever, you could take the next piece of uh, 
of pastries, meat underneath it. I used to, I used to cheat. Oh, I used to love that with a bit of mashed potato and gravy. Oh, delicious! You can't beat that. I don't know what they call it. Perhaps mincemeat pie or something. Now that you can probably still buy them, it's just that uh, pastry is not very good with me. Not very good, I'm afraid. Not very good at all. Uh, other stories in the papers uh, for today: um, an asylum seeker in a rubber dinghy. He's managed to make it across the channel in a kid's rubber dinghy. And uh, so somebody else we're going to have to put up with. And TV weatherman Fred Tolbert apparently has uh, been up on a, another charge now. This is uh, prior to when he started working television, because I think he was working as a teacher, if memory serves. And so now there's another, there's another charge. Another person has come forward. Uh, prosecutors set to detail Amanda Knox's alleged links to a drug dealer. Uh, she said... She's not going to return to Italy for a retrial. I think she's guilty. I'm sorry. I mean, who else? Who else is there? But, of course, she's not. She's not going back. She said that, and, uh, in fact, she couldn't really care less. She couldn't really care less. Obviously not interested in helping them find out who the, who the person is who actually did it. Did I really hear something on LBC yesterday where somebody phoned up about the hanging dog and said, it's just a dog. Just a dog. People are dying around the world. It's just a dog. Yeah, but we don't hang them outside primary schools, do we? But now there's a, another one who hanged a goat from a roof beam during a farm raid. Uh, the farmer found the rare breed dangling from a rope in the outbuilding where it was kept. The owner was very distressed. Very distressed. I mean, this is um, on a farm in Byfleet. was broken into hours later over the weekend. Um, what sort of people would break into a farm around Byfleet? I've got a rough idea. I've got a rough idea. You know, what sort of people want to break into a farm and hang a goat? What sort of sick people are they? What sort of sick people are they? I suppose we have to accept the fact there are sick people out there, but I think there needs to be a little bit more than putting them in open prisons. I think, you know, perhaps euthanasia would be a fairly good idea. I just don't understand them anyway. I said yesterday, I can't imagine how anybody could actually take a staffy, whether you like the dog or whether you don't like the dog, and, and hang it outside a primary school. And that dog must have, you know twisted itself backwards and forwards trying to get free with no chance of it and then it just uh, asphyxiated itself and you think to yourself I can't wait to find out who you are I've seen people on the television before who abuse horses they have loads and loads of horses and they just leave them to rot in fields and you think you're a sicko aren't you you really are sick um, out uh, talking about people feeling sick out at Wimbledon they were feeling pretty sick Cliff Richard turned up again luckily he took our advice on the programme and started dressing a little bit more in accordance with his age as opposed to um, some of these very outrageous sort of suits he wears. But, uh, I see Kim Sears, and um, yes, it's the Duchess of Cambridge, and she was there, and uh, and then they all went, mm, and it didn't it didn't work, and so people were very disappointed. But as I say, it doesn't really matter. It's only Wimbledon, isn't it? Not going to change your life over it. Leon Britton's faulty memory is uh, featured in the Mail today. And they say this ticking time bomb that could shake Westminster. He's getting on a bit now. He's getting on a bit now. He looks like a, a crumbly old man. But Geoffrey Dickens says at the time, I've got eight big names. I will expose them. Eight big names of people in Westminster. And this is, this is quite interesting because the, uh, the mail are sort of going through all of this. They can't find anything. They can't find this list. They don't know where it vanished to after it, um, after it was handed over to the police. They, d- they don't know what happened to it. Some of the papers are speculating that it has been destroyed, that it's been shredded. Uh, Cheryl Cole, and uh, she says, I had a breakdown after being sacked from the US X Factor. 
Of course you did, dear. And then you went to court, didn't you? And then you went to court because you wanted the money. But uh, nobody liked you in America. Nobody liked you. You, were, they, you weren't of any interest to them. You looked like some faded old has-been, where they turned up in that ludicrous outfit and the ridiculous hair. You looked like somebody had caught you in a wind tunnel. But uh, speaking for the first time about the events, the singer... <laughs> I don't think so. The mimer says she wasn't well in the head and that the fallout from her sacking literally drove me mad. Yes. Apparently she sent text to Cal using rude words and I'm not at all surprised. And, uh, and so she's, she's droned on about her boring life in L magazine. They'll buy anything, these magazines, won't they? They will buy anybody's story, anything you want to hear about nowadays. You want to know about Cheryl Cole's life? Oh, here she goes again, droning on about, I'm a singer, way eh? Even Will I Am dropped her. He wasn't remotely interested at all. Uh, I will tell you about the cookie. Because I know that lots of ladies like cookies, and you think that you can eat them and you can lose the weight. I don't think you can, but this one here is a chocolate chip cookie that's got as much protein as two chicken breasts. It's baked in Wales. You know me and the Welsh. You know me and the Welsh. And um, it's a specialist food website, musclefood.com. Musclefood.com. And it weighs a whopping 77 grams 40 grams of that comprises soy milk and other proteins. Oh, it's for people it's for people who want to sort of work out and they want to sort of boost themselves up. So, I don't know if that, if that appeals to you. I've always laughed at Starbucks. I'll have a skinny muffin. Don't be so stupid. Don't be so stupid. We'll buy into anything, won't we? Oh, look, the chips in uh, Burger King are now practically fat-free. Oh, do me a favour. Do me a favour. It's a chip, isn't it? Obviously, the bigger the chip... The less fat. But I did laugh the other day because uh, there's a picture of Domino's workers buying potato wedges in a supermarket and then buying them very cheaply and then passing them off as their own. Luckily, this particular branch, and I'll tell you where it is later, have been given a reprimand by the head office. Because the whole idea is you buy the stuff, you're supposed to get it from the main source. Once they start buying, you know that they're cheating. And what other ingredients are they cheating on? You know, the, the, so they buy it at like 50p, but they're selling it at 3 99 so that's an even bigger profit than they could make by buying. That's why there's so many of these ghastly chicken places out there which aren't Kentucky. Because Kentucky, a friend of mine, his dad was an inspector and he would go round and find out which of the Kentuckys were actually cheating by buying the ingredients elsewhere. And the moment that was discovered, they took away the franchise from them. So they turned into all these other cheap, ghastly chicken places, which are really bad for you. Still more to come on your early morning breakfast show on LBC with Steve Allen. Andy Murray goes out again. I hate to say, told you so, told you so, told you so. I did predict it yesterday. The sniffer dogs are out. British sniffer dogs in the search for Madeleine McCann. Bit late now, isn't it? Would you not have thought that they would have done that ages and ages ago? Uh, the contestant on The X Factor auditioning for Simon Cowell whilst out on bail for an alleged rape. Along the same lines, the Jehovah's Witness elder who has been jailed for rape for uh, abusing young girls and who raped a woman worshipper. You can't make it up, can you? And I still think there's a time bomb ticking over in Westminster. I'm Steve Allen. This is LBC. It's all next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's uh, it's not sunny. There's no point in lying to you at the moment. It might be sunny later. They're saying this is this could be the hottest day of the year. I, of course, am absolutely dreading it. What have they said? Highs of 25. Oh, great. How awful. 
Uh, Jason Manford telling the world, well, he's telling one of the newspapers about his testicular cancer. The rest of the world hasn't got the faintest idea who he is. Murray's out of Wimbledon. So what do we talk about now? Mm. Well, tomorrow we know what it'll be. It'll be the sentencing of, um, of Rolf Harris, which I think is going to be very interesting. People still trying to work out exactly how many years he's going to be given, if indeed it comes down to years. And the husband's fight to stop the court putting his wife in a home. It's a tragic story. Let's hope it has a happy ending. All of that on LBC. If you're a new listener, it's nice to uh, nice to be company this morning. Try, hope you're well. I'll tell you what the weather... I might as well tell you what the weather is now, because it's, it's not going to change for later. Mostly... Oh, here we go. Mostly cloudy with rain at times. Increasingly breezy. Am I reading the right weather here? I thought today was going to be really hot. Sunny spells possible by late afternoon. And they, she's knocked it down already. You go 25. She's gone 20. Is that the wrong weather? It's the wrong weather. It's the wrong weather. I wonder why. Oh, here we go. This is better. Oh, there we go. Thank you. God, I was going to say, but, you know, snow moving in over the hills, you know, doesn't quite sound the same. But it does say mostly cloudy with rain at times and cloudy outbreaks of rain gradually spreading southeastwards. There's a few sunny spells, but the high 25 degrees. Sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? So perhaps I'm, I might survive if there's no sunshine. Cloud will thicken from the west overnight to give further outbreaks of rain. It'll turn increasingly breezy. Uh, overnight lows 15 degrees and tomorrow... Rain turning heavy at... Oh, I'm sorry, listen, what a depressing weather forecast. Actually, of course, I love it. You know me, I mean, I, I function very well when it's, when it's raining. I don't... Actually, I've just realised I don't really want rain for today uh, because I didn't bring an umbrella. It's the first day I didn't bring an umbrella. I'm going to get wet, going to ruin my hair. going to be a very unhappy person. Very unhappy person. We'll wait and see, shall we? Wait and see a little bit later on. Um, the uh, Kelly apparently has ordered from this uh, this site before. This is this muscle food site. She's ordered prime tuna, five five things of that at one pound twenty nine. Uh, chicken breast fillets, and apparently is free according to this thing here. She's also ordered protein pasta. Premium diced turkey. Good God, it's quite an expensive little thing here. Liquid egg white. Ooh, ooh that sounds disgusting. Liquid egg white. So there you go. That's £75 she spent, so it obviously seems to work. Obviously somebody knows what it is. I, I do not know. I don't know uh, if I'm surprised or not, but Mrs Brown is top of the cinema ratings. Took £4.3 million last weekend. I can't see the film having cost too much to make, so it could be a nice little money spinner. I shouldn't imagine the film costs very much to make. We don't tend to make films in this country that cost a fortune, do we? We, we, we tend to make budget films, but there's a, there's a couple coming out which I will advise you nearer the time. I've told you before about them, but they will be uh, films that you should put on your list. Definitely. Uh, another one here, 84850, steve at uk. Uh, Richard is in Newbury in West Berkshire. You poor soul, honestly. Dear Newbury, God, blimey, the pits of the universe, isn't it? You go down the M4, down the M4, you go past Thiel, and then you get further, and then 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 you go past past you see so go past past Reading, and and then you get to Newbury, and I know because I used to live in Newbury. I used to go to school in Newbury. I know everything about Newbury that there is to know. I know the upside. The da- I tell you, it's deteriorated over the years. Since we were there when it was a nice little market town. Uh, now, I was, I was amazed when I went down there the last time, which was about uh, three years ago. Two years ago, three years ago. I was amazed how many Polish people there were. It's like, po- wherever you go now, there's Polish people. And you think, it's Newbury. But did, did somebody say, let's go to Newbury? You know, why would anybody ever say that? 
I yeah, all of a sudden they become French. French Poles, why not? And of course it was famous for Stargrove, which was the house that Mick Jagger built, uh, had, lived in. And so occasionally you'd see him driving through the town. Uh, uh, I live there. The cinema was the first cinema I ever saw an X film in. An X-rated film in the day when it was X-rated. Sat at the back. And uh, that's where I, I featured on stage at the Corn Exchange in a, in a number, of, uh, number of things. Is she coming to get cake? Is Jay Louise coming to... She can't resist it, can she? She can't resist it. She'll like it, actually. She'll like it. It'll take her days to get down the stairs. It'll t- forever and a day, I promise you. Now, you're welcome to the cake, Jay. It's here waiting for you, going, eat me, eat me, eat me. This is the sherry trifle cake we tried earlier on. I've just had a little sliver of it a moment ago. Very nice, very nice. But there's no sherry. I think we should have to bring sherry in next time. Uh, other stories in the uh, papers today. This is the, uh, apart from the cookie that helps you diet... I think it's probably used for people who do bodybuilding. A Jehovah's Witness elder who sexually abused young girls. You see, things like this don't even make the front pages of the papers. This is shoved away on page 11 in the Daily Mail. Uh, He was jailed for 14 years. Mark Sewell attacked members of the congregation, including his niece. He's a married father, raped one woman, ripping off her underwear in a brutal attack, which left her pregnant. She later miscarried. He molested another woman and abused two young girls, one of whom was just 12 Why is this not front page? Why is this not front page news? You know, Rolf Harris, front page news. We didn't know the lurid details. This one here is that uh, he was found guilty at Merthyr Tidville Crown Court of eight sexual offences. One victim waived her right to anonymity after he was sentenced. She said, I'm relieved that everybody now knows what he's done. When his victims reported him to the church... Other elders banned them from discussing the attacks. An internal hearing cleared him. When police investigated, the church gave no help to officers. So protecting a pervert in their midst of Jehovah's Witnesses. Isn't that disgusting? Absolutely disgusting. So in other words, they went there to go, sorry, this man's a pervert. Want him investigated? No, no, I'm not going to help you at all on that one. Dear God. Dear God in heaven. It's just, I finally got the correct weather today. Oh, look, it's changed again. What would you like it to be, ladies and gentlemen? You'd like it to be dry with bright or sunny spells. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you dry, bright, sunny spells. little hazy this afternoon, but that's after the Prosecco sinks in. And uh, then some high cloud, especially further north. Currently it's 14 degrees. I mean, that's, that's enough to sunbathe. Enough to sunbathe. It's going to rise to 25 degrees. Double it and add 30. You're looking at 80 degrees, give or take. Bright evening, remaining dry overnight, clear spells at first, but it will tend to become cloudier later in the night. What do we get for Friday? What can I offer you tomorrow? Dry, bright and warm, a little bit of rain overnight. Saturday to Monday, cloud and rain clearing to leave a bright afternoon on Saturday, then sunny spells with scattered, heavy or thundery showers Sunday and Monday. Thank you, Tanya. Amazing how that weather changed, isn't it? I mean, you, you're almost on an hourly basis, the weather changes in this country. I love it. I absolutely love it. just makes me smile, because whenever people say, oh, what's the weather like in England? I go, well, it could rain. We could have some hailstorms. It could be sunny. Uh, it could be windy. It could be hazy sunshine. In fact, we get all the seasons in one day. All the seasons in one day. When I was at school, says Mike, uh, one of my favourites was a pastry base a layer of beef mince and a slice of tomato served with mash and gravy and beans. Oh, dear. Uh, the worst thing was chocolate pudding and horrible cheap chocolate custard. Yes, chocolate... We had steamed puddings as well, and I never became a fan. The one thing I loathe, and it does not change to this day, is treacle pudding. 
I hated treacle. I hated any of those puddings. A suet pudding, a jam roly-poly pudding, I can cope with with custard on it. I'm told it's terribly fattening, so I try not to have that. But, um, but any of these other things, you know, treacle pudding, chocolate pudding, ugh, any sponge pudding. Even the jam sponge pudding was vile. I never liked any of that at all. 84850, steve at Everybody, it's amazing, actually, everybody now talking about Andy Murray going, well, at least we've seen the back of him. Until next time round. Chris says, people dropping food and chewing gum. It's a problem with my guide dog. Well, tell him not to do it. Dreadful, those guide dogs going around there chewing gum and then just spitting it out all over the pavement. Uh, 84850, steve at uk, And uh, we shall weave everything in. Mary says, it's very dark this morning. It would be, dear. It's called the night time. It would be. It's called night time. <laughs> uh, Linda says, I'm in Crawley. She says, a day that starts with you can never be all bad. No, I don't think it can. I mean, today, I mean, I won't enjoy today. Because if it's going to be sunny, I suffer in the heat. And what did I not bring with me? I didn't bring a hat. And I'm going to go home and I know what's going to happen. I'm going to end up burning the top of my head. So I've got this interview to do. I can, I'll still be home by about, about 10 o'clock this morning, which is, which is nice. What's well, a new thing. I haven't seen that before. Although it's gone. Um... And somebody says, the egg white, it's about 11% protein. Oh, right. It's, I, I think it's, it's favoured by bodybuilders, isn't it? Egg white. I think they have it. Don't they have it whisked up into something? I don't know. I had a friend of mine uh, once, some years ago. Well, he was a neighbour. He was more of a neighbour than a friend. And he went into bodybuilding. And the worst thing was, whenever he was doing a competition, his girlfriend had to paint him in creosote. It was like creosote. It was that horrible colour. Because all bodybuilders go through this disgusting colour. I don't know why. They just can't, you know, be normal and sort of be all pale. But apparently if they go this colour, it shows all the, all the, the definition within the body. Now you know why I'm not a bodybuilder. Your uh, predic- predictions on the outcome of sporting events are uncanny, says Malcolm. You can make a fortune as a racing tipster. Yes, I mean, I actually am very good at predicting. I'll tell you for why. I have a sixth sense. I have a sixth sense where I'll look at something in the paper and I'll go, don't believe that, that's not right. You know, it's, it's when, I, when I look at the, uh, the Leon Britton story and the fact that he handed over the list which Geoffrey Dickens had given him of these eight prominent people in Westminster who he thought or probably had evidence of paedophilia. They're saying it was a paedophile ring operating within Westminster. And then they say somebody's lost it. Do not feel, do not get the gut feeling that I do, that once you move into the higher echelons of Parliament and power, there are lots of people who are very powerful who will go, we'll get rid of that report, OK? This person is very... I only had to watch Yes, Prime Minister to realise that there are strange things that go on that us mere mortals do not understand, because it's not for us. What it is, it's for people there, and it might be due to all sorts of, you know, strange, funny handshakes and that kind of thing, where they go, this, this could topple a government, this, you know, if this came out. There are various names in the frame over the years of people who might or might not have been involved in it. Now that they've named Cyril Smith, uh, I wonder really whether or not they're going to be brave and start naming lots of other people. And I have a sneaking feeling they might. Quarter past five. And this morning it's called Clegg, of course. Nick Clegg will be in the studio. They get really posh breakfast. They get really posh. The canteen. There's a trolley with... Oh, dear, honestly. But they don't get sherry trifle cake. When I pointed out that J. Louise was coming down, waddling down, I should point out she's pregnant, as opposed to her doing an impression of a duck or something like that. That's why it's going to take her a while to get down here. Uh, Nick will be talking about Andy Murray, knocked out of Wimbledon, and they're trying to find out, and it's the same... 
question, isn't it? Why don't we have enough people coming through for Wimbledon? And the truth of the matter is that many clubs don't let young people play. And there aren't enough young people coming through. I mean, you will find that during Wimbledon week, every council tennis court will be booked up for the duration. Everybody's playing tennis. They're all out there playing tennis. And, and I've, the other thing that, uh, that always worries me is the lady... The noise they make at Wimbledon. I mean, it really is awful. It's all the women. You think to yourself, are they like this at home? Why do they make so much noise? Do you think they just go, they're women. Be gracious about it. We'll just hit the ball over here. Thank you. All this... It's just awful. It's terrible. Did Andy Murray make noises? Perhaps he should have done. His, and we know his mother did. Oh, I'm so bored with the mother. I don't, I don't like being bored with people's mothers, but, you know, occasionally. Uh, how safe is it to co-sleep with your baby? Nick will be asking these and other questions this morning on Breakfast on LBC at 7. Camilla Tomonet, the royal editor at the Sunday Express, will be going through the papers. And much good may it do her, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, because I discovered the other... Melvin Hayes... Remember Melvin Hayes from uh, It Ain't Half Hot Mum? He was with Cliff Richard in all the films. He's OK, don't worry, but he's, he's talking about a heart bypass. He's 79. He's 79. Brigitte, um, Brigitte Nielsen is 50. Oh, she's got to be more than 50. She can't be 50. She was uh, the wife of Sylvester Stallone. Um, she says, everybody thought I married him because of the money. They didn't understand that he begged me to marry. He begged me. I remember thinking, this is too early, it's not right. At the same time, everybody was going, who wouldn't want to marry Rocky? But when I left Sylvester, all do- doors closed on me. I was basically blacklisted. Now she's on her uppers. That's Hollywood. So there you go. I mean, no, I don't think people would be saying you interviewed him for the money. They interviewed him because it gave you fame. That's what it is. It's fame by association. You were Brigitte Nielsen, and she was very tall. And I think she lives in... Batasi. I think she's in Batasi in London. Um, what have we got here? I like, read, I like watching the antique programmes on the television. I love looking at the disappointment on people's faces when they say, and, uh, well, this is highly sought after, £30. And you can see them thinking, 30 quid. It's hardly worth bothering, is it, really? Hardly worth bothering. Uh, this is the story, and it's, it's a sad story, of Richard McDermott and his wife, Edith. In 58 years of marriage, they have never been apart. 58 years of marriage. She stayed by his side every time he had to move during his career as an RAF engineer, because it's two years here, two years there, two years here. Uh, Since she had a stroke last year, a hospital has been trying to put her in a nursing home, a move that would separate them permanently. Now the 82-year-old is fighting to bring her back after the hospital referred the case to the Court of Protection. Mrs McDermott, 77, went into Royal Blackburn Hospital in September after a stroke paralysed her left side. She cannot sit up on her own. She's fed through a tube into her stomach. Doctors say she does not have the capacity to make decisions, but her husband, who has the power of attorney, believes she wants to be at home. He wants her at home. They've been married 58 years. He wants her at home. you imagine how heartbreaking this must be for this family? Um, She's a former stationer's machinist. He met her in Manchester in the 1950s. He said, as far as I'm concerned, it's my wife's wish to be at home. We've been married 58 years. I've been with her through thick and thin. I've been going to see her every day except one I had off so I could go to sleep. I would enjoy every moment of looking after her at home. In a nursing home, she'd just be slumped in her room. And so, so they've actually gone to court. East Lancashire Hospital NHS Trust Christine Pearson said, It's a very emotive case and one that is upsetting for all involved. The Trust is in close contact with Mr McDermott and we're providing full support. I mean, it's, it, you know, it doesn't matter whether she's got 
the decision, whether she's got, you know, the capacity to make a decision. As far as I'm concerned, this is a simple case of a man who is deeply in love with his wife. It doesn't matter whether, you know, she's connected up to a life support machine. It makes no difference. He doesn't want her in a home. He wants her at home with him. They are destined to be together. How do you think she feels? How do you think she feels being separated and there she is stuck? You've seen people in, in homes before, haven't you? Where they just sit there, they wheel them out and they sit there. They're in a state of, you know, depression. They sit there staring at the floor or they're asleep. That's not quality of life. That's not quality of life. And for, for Richard and Edith, he wants her at home. You can only hope, can't you, that the court sees sense and they go, listen, we'll, we'll, we can have her at home. She can still be fed in exactly the same way. Things can go on. But uh, it's it's rather sad that there have been lots of these cases before. Um, the the family GP says that Edith needed to go into a home. When he refused, hospital staff went to the courts. The retired aviation engineer said in November it was a unanimous decision that she could come home. Then we had meetings, meetings and meetings. And all of a sudden, the tone changed from going home to nursing homes. I've seen nursing homes. My mother was in one. They're not very nice. He wants his wife at home. I don't quite understand where the problem is. Who are these blooming busybodies? There have been so many cases in the media of people being mistreated. Absolutely. He says, we are now waiting for a court case. How long is that going to take while she's left lying there staring at the ceiling? I've told them straight. If I don't win the case, then out come the life savings and I will appeal. If that fails, I will go to the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg. I'm determined they will not win. Good for you, Richard. Good for you. It's about time. Somebody... Here, here goes a bruiser. Here, here. Because if you were in that situation, you're with somebody and you've been with them all your life, and then, then some no-mark says, oh, we're actually going to put them in a home. You get what? I don't want them in a home. I want them with me. I'm married... You can have all of that. You can eat all of that cake if you want. There's hard... There's no... What's she done now? She's not dropped it on the floor, has she? Have you dropped the knife? Oh, goodness sake. The next thing will be an accident. She'll have pierced her foot or something. J. Louise is just going to sample the cake now. She can't resist it, actually. You're looking for a plate? There's no plates. What are you looking for? Knife. Oh, right, yeah. Such a palaver, isn't it, for a piece of cake? She's going to be so disappointed when she tries this cake. <laughs> so disappointed. Unlike Edith, who probably isn't getting her cake where she is at the moment. His daughter says, we've seen, this is Alison Wilson, she said, we've seen cases where people are treated in homes and uh, she's got the support of the former Home Secretary, Jack Straw. I mean, there is a genuine difference of opinion between Mr McDermott and some of the clinicians about whether his wife has the capacity to make decisions. However, the delays in resolving the case are inexcusable. I absolutely agree. Goodness sake, all these people mind their own blooming business. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't ask for a lot in life, he's an old man. She's an old, ill person, you know, and now he's 82 and he's having to fight to keep his wife at home, to make sure that she is at home. Uh, 84850, Steve at lbc.co.uk. I get quite angry about cases like that because I always think you have to sort of associate yourself. You have to think, if that was, you know, my family, if that was my, my mum and dad, you know, how would you be feeling? You'd be feeling the same as me, you know. Uh, Steve, re Wimbledon. I'm glad that uh, Sharapova's been knocked out. We can all be spared her shrieking. Why do they shriek so much? It, it, it is the, it's the grunting, isn't it? <laughs> I just wonder, really, uh, you know, <laughs> why that happens at all. Uh, 84850. 
And somebody says, shame that, please, that Steve is pleased to see Andy Murray out of Wimbledon. I'm not pleased to see him out. I predicted he'd be out. I predicted he'd be out. He's the only British player of any note. Quite clearly not. Quite clearly not. He isn't... Uh, the, well, I mean, we don't have anybody else, do we? But uh, he's obviously not up to the scratch, I'm afraid. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, Cyril Smith is the tip of the iceberg. There have been many whispers around Westminster for ages. Well, this, this would be the cover-up to end all cover-ups, but how high does it go... How high does it go? That's the interesting thing. You know, who, which, which prime ministers were in? Did they do a cover-up? We'll never know. We can't find anything. Talking of districts, I sent uh, a text saying Rill was nice on the front, beaches clean, locals fat and ugly. And you said Stockport's not much better. We have a hat museum, a football team called Hatters, and uh, depending on what radio, newspaper or TV channel you use, the weather is always different. I suppose that's why we say changes like the weather, says Colin, in the famous Stockport. Not enough sherry. No, I said there was hardly any sherry. Did you purely come down for the sherry in it, if only? Sherry syrup it is, isn't it? What the dickens is that? Never even heard of sherry. Is that, is that the byproduct of sherry, do you think? Sherry syrup. Do you think it's something ghastly? It's got no alcohol in it. Very, very disappointing. Very, well, at least it filled a little gap. Have you eaten it all? Oh, look, bless her, she's left a piece. <laughs> as you standing on ceremony. <laughs> Eating for two. Eating for two. Uh, what's the time? It's uh, 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. William says, you say you never had chips at school. Does that mean that you never had fried fish or fish fingers? No. No, we never had fish fingers or fried fish. Good God, no. No, we were just a normal state-run school. Secondary modern. And, uh, oh, no, we never had fish fingers. <laughs> you had fish fingers? God, you must be very posh. No, we never had anything like that at all. Nothing at all. Uh, 84850. Uh, Julie sent me in a picture on her way to work. Not a chav in sight, but mummy duck and ducklings enjoying a splash in Feltham, which is quite sweet, isn't it? It's the time of year that little ducklings are all over the place. And uh, some survive, and many don't, I'm afraid. So if ever you get sort of a... Uh, I don't know, what do they call it? Is it sort of brood, is it, of duck? I can't remember what they call them. Anyway, uh, if ever you get a gaggle, a gaggle, oh, I don't know, gaggle, I don't know. But if, but if ever you get sort of mummy, mummy duck, and, and there's never daddy duck around, it's always just mummy duck, and all the little ducklings, out of, say, you know, ten, two might survive. Two might survive. The, uh, the chances of surviving are not particularly good, I'm afraid, because they get eaten by fish. Fish eat them, foxes take them, all sorts of things. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit scary. Two foxes in Twickenham High Street this morning. Two foxes in Twickenham High Street. Completely oblivious to me. Completely oblivious to me. <laughs> they couldn't have cared less. Apparently, Phil says they grunt loud to disguise the sound of the ball coming off the racket. They're so noisy. The men don't make that much noise, do they? The men don't make... <laughs> Perhaps I should start doing it. Didn't they, didn't they test it once on the decibel level? They were trying to find out what the decibel level was. Over in the, uh, the Daily Mail today, Quentin Letts... Tootles off to the theatre every so often. This time he went down to uh, watch the tired old pythons fluff tired old lines at £200 a ticket. He was not impressed. He says, but look on the bright side, at least George Osborne thinks they're still funny. He didn't find them at all funny. He really didn't. He said, it, it, you know, it really was tired and tedious, but they'll probably make loads and loads of money out of it. He says, but the reputations of these once brilliant comedians will be diminished. Why did they go back on stage? Because they sold out very quickly. Um, are they successful as a group probably from their time so they're in the 70s does that make a difference can people still be funny in their 70s I think so I think so but for them we knew it was all about the money some of it is very 
very laborious while they're changing costumes, we discovered the other day. Because I asked James O'Brien's producer what they were like. He liked them, actually. And for, uh, for John Cleese, it's alimony. He's paid out a lot. In, but, I mean, that's not our problem, is it? That's his problem. So he's, he's been out there at £200 a ticket. In fact, actually, Nick Ferrari's um, technical man, Clive, he's going tomorrow. There's about six of them. They bought the tickets a while ago. £85 each. And he's now slightly perturbed as to what it's going to be like. So I said to Michael, James O'Brien's producer, why don't you wind Clive up and tell him that the touts are trying to knock the tickets out for 13 quid each, chucking in a free fish and chip supper. You know, and he's paid 85, because he, he was a bit a bit apprehensive about what it will be like. But Michael said, no, seriously. I mean, Michael liked it. Whether it's an age thing, I don't know. If you're old enough to have remembered the Pythons first time round, you would probably find it a bit slow but if you're a young person who's only just discovered them and you've seen the films, then you'll probably be all right with it. Well, that's the way I'm interpreting it. I haven't seen it. I'm far too mean to spend £85 a ticket. Really far too. I mean, it's just not my, sort of, uh, not my sort of thing at all. I hope Richard gets Edith home, where it will be familiar to her, says Mary. Yes. Uh, for Ryan Hendon says, since I've started listening to you, I've now lost three hours of sleep every day until I started getting to bed two hours earlier. Do you know, somebody told me something very interesting the other day. One of the, um, the guys, Imran, who works downstairs on the reception, is fasting at the moment. And what he does every day, the money that he would spend on his lunch, he puts into a tin. And it's a fiver. So he puts a fiver a day into a tin. And at the end of the month, he'll have £90. But he's going to, um, he's going to make it to 100 He's going to make it... No, he'll have a bit more than that, won't he? Whatever it is, anyway. And he's, he's worked out that he can send this money to poor people in another country where, for, say, £100, you can feed 12 people for a month. 12 people for a month. And I said to him, you know, we take everything for granted. We take everything for granted. You sort of... You go out to the shops, you know, you go and stand in Marks and Spencers and you look at, uh, you know, food on the shop. We take it for granted that this... Oh, Clive's friend already... Oh, Lord. No, you'll love it. You'll really love it. It's a great show, Clive. Yeah, big up you. I've said, take, take popcorn and a, and a DVD player. Watch one of their old films while you're sitting in the seat, contemplating what else you could have done with £85. <laughs> I love it. I hate it when they phone. I hate it when they phone. It frightens the life out of me. Anyway, I've got, I've got a letter for him in the studio, which is nice, isn't it? Head of podcasting. And uh, so that'll cheer his day up. So where was I? Oh, yes. So, so when you look at the supermarkets, you assume, don't you, you just go into a supermarket and the shelves are groaning with food. Absolutely groaning. There's nothing that we don't have in this country. Meat, vegetables, tins, soup, beet, you name it, we have it. Bread, you know, and yet you go to certain parts of the world and they go, and what's on the shelf? Um, I think there's a tin of something, but it's been there for some time now. And nobody's got enough money to buy it because they don't have anything. They don't have anything at all. Their expectations are so much lower. So when people come to this country having, you know, filed for asylum, all of a sudden they're looking at groaning supermarkets with food on the shelf, the like of which they've never seen before. They've never seen a full supermarket to start with. So we do take it for granted. We, I do take for granted the fact that I can leave here at 7 o'clock this morning and go and get myself two toasted bacon sandwiches. You know, in other countries you could, you'll be leaving and what would you be having for breakfast? Water. You know, and perhaps something made with a bit of rice, and that's just about it. So we are fortunate. No matter how many times you think that uh, that you're not doing particularly well, you're doing a lot better than a lot of people 
in other countries. Lynn says, our parents have different degrees of health problems. The one fear they have is that they'll be split up. Tomorrow we go and see yet another place. This time it has a double room, which is quite rare. If my parents don't feel comfortable, we'll have to rethink. Yeah, and the other thing is, it's being able to afford it. Have you seen the price of these homes? Have you seen the price of them? It is absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. It really is. Apparently, Clive was reading every review under the sun yesterday, hoping to see that one that would make him think he'd not wasted his money, says Michael. <laughs> so they're bound both listening. <laughs> that's, that's all I need this morning, isn't it? I seem to have the entire set. The entire set. Poor boy, he says. Poor. You've got to sit with him in the studio this morning. Don't upset him today. God knows you know it could be a... It could be an absolute nightmare. No, I'm sure he'll... I the trouble is, he started off really on the, on the wrong foot as, as Clive because he's starting on a downer. Whereas, in fact, I think if he sets his expectations a bit higher, I think he'll have a nice... I always have... If ever I don't want to go somewhere and then, I, and then I, eventually I sort of... I sort of force myself to go. I always have a nice time. I always have a nice time. Although I should imagine Michael, James O'Brien's producer, must be the only one sitting in shorts in the O2. Because he was—he only knew about it in the morning when he came in. Did you wear your shorts? I bet you did. Uh, it's a paddling of ducks, says Carla. <laughs> and then somebody says, Steve, the tennis grunts, these women have been faking it too long. They can't shake the habit. It is odd, isn't it, that they have to make this noise? It's, it, does it give you a more powerful swing? Because I think it should be more, more genteel. I think they should all wear long skirts and maybe sun hats. And they should just sort of, a bit like badminton, just tip the ball over the net. And that's as far as it should go. I don't think it should go anywhere at all after that. I don't think we have to sort of, um, don't worry about too many noises. Um, Edith Goes Home, Steve. Uh, it sounds like a book with a happy ending. Edith Goes Home. <laughs> It'd be nice to think, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, you like to think that, you know, as people reach what they laughingly call your twilight years. I don't know why they call them the twilight years. That you should better have, you know, you've been 58 years with somebody. And then, and then somebody goes, no, we want to keep them in hospital. You go, what? But I'm 82. I want her at home with me. I can cook. I can do stuff like that. It's my wife. I've been with her 58 years, for goodness sake. Why people don't understand it, I do not know. Uh, other stories of the paper today. Who is this? This is a picture of... Um... Oh, it's interesting. We were talking about Professor Green earlier on, who has now deleted his Twitter account, we think. And uh, so it, it just deleted all his old tweets. I don't know why, but uh, but he has. But then there's a picture of little Millie McIntosh. And uh, here she is. Um, her husband joked she was a thin inspiration because she's there's nothing of her. She's so painfully thin. And uh, he says, she is my girl crush. I'm going to be sick. hate it when people write things like that. This is uh, Millie McIntosh. She's married to Professor Green, whose name, I believe, is Stephen. So there you go. So can't all be bad, can it? Uh, more on the uh, the poster girl, the gun officer winning the sex and the race bullying case against uh, Scotland Yard. No doubt that'll be talked about today, I should imagine. And a lady here who treated herself to hair extensions as a birthday present was left in agony after they were fitted with superglue. Alexis Stanton says she had a bleeding scalp and had no choice but to shave her hair off. Her head hurt so much she even went to A&E saying, I still have pain, it's damaged my scalp. Um... The beautician who fitted the extension said Miss Stanton knew she was not a hairdresser and claimed the incident had been grossly exaggerated. So there you go. I mean, superglue. I've never heard of that, actually, using superglue. But would that burn your head? I, um, I did something with superglue the other day and I got a bit on my fingers and I immediately, you know, you try and separate your fingers because you don't want to leave it there too long. And, um, 
and then sort of went and sorted it out by putting water and soap on it in the sink. Criminals are stealing and using the online small ad site Gumtree to steal millions of pounds from innocent customers. Apparently, Citizens Advice have issued a warning after revealing one in six investigations associated with Gumtree involved a scam. 250 fraud or theft allegations a week are being reported to the police. Uh, Gumtree, owned by eBay, is particularly vulnerable because the website doesn't vet or take details from users. The watchdog gave the example of a flat hunter who saw a property advertised on Gumtree and handed over £1,650 to the person he thought was the landlord when he tried to move in. Somebody was already living there. A Gumtree spokesman said, we do everything in our power to keep scammers off the site and encourage any victims to report to us and the police. I mean, you imagine handing over 1,650 quid and then you get to the house and go, this is the house, kids be waiting for you there. Knock on the door, try and get in. There's other, another family listening there going, sorry, we live here. We live here now. Uh, Nick Clegg is in the papers today. I'll tell you what the, uh, what the story is. And uh, this is the victim of the sex pest... Uh, Renard, this is Lord Renard, quitting in a fury. She says, I can't work for a party which will not punish him. The activist tells Clegg. More on that in a moment. Quarter to six. Steve Allen on LBC. Phil says, no, you've got it wrong, Steve. It's a casserole of ducks. Oh, don't. That's so cruel. That's so cruel. Uh, but, uh, but Shane, crispy fried duck. Oh, don't. No. Yeah, yes, it's nice. It's nice. Not the ones that we have swimming on ponds, though. Uh, Shane, not driving a train today, went to see the Pythons uh, the other night, which was first night, when Michael, James O'Brien's producer, went in his shorts. Because he didn't have any other... Tra- he, I think, really, he needs to bring a pair of trousers into work and keep them in his drawers so he can slip into a pair of trousers. He went there and he had to explain to people that he was in fancy dress and he was celebrating the Ministry of Silly Walks. <laughs> I don't know. Imagine, but he must have had very cold legs by the end of the night. Anyway, Shane went uh, with his 16-year-old daughter. He said, we both loved it. Tickets were 65 quid. They must have been good as Alan Yentob, Arlene Phillips and Stephen Fry were in the row behind us. Great night. So there you go. There you go. That's it, isn't it? That's, that, that says it all. He paid, six, I think £65 is an awful lot of money for the O2. An awful lot of money. But I suppose it's, it's how much they, they get paid but £65. And that's cheap. I mean, some of the seats, two, £300. I think, though, it's Clive... I, th- I think Clive paid... I think it was £85. I'd be gutted. No, you'll, he'll have a great time, honestly. <laughs> Can't wait till Monday morning. It was all right. Because he's not going to come back and say he didn't like it, because he's going with five other people. <laughs> uh, victim of the sex pest, Lord Renard. This is the Liberal Democrat activist who accused him of molesting her, quit the party last night after it decided not to censure him. In a stinging open letter to Nick Clegg, ironic he's with us today on LBC, uh, the lady in question said she and four members of her family would be tearing up their membership cards. The former county councillor revealed that the disciplinary review held by the party had ruled earlier this week there was insufficient evidence the peer broke any rules. And so um, so she's quit the party. She says, I cannot work for a party which will not punish him. So uh, no doubt Nick Ferrara will be talking about that today. Uh, Sarkozy, the French peacock who married a supermodel, lived like a king, faces ten years in prison amid lurid claims he took millions from Gaddafi. Wherever there's money, wherever there's money... There was always somebody trying to uh, trying to cheat it, isn't it? There's a cyclist who's just been fined. Why? Because uh, not for riding on the pavement, not for uh, jumping red traffic lights, not for for cycling, um, 
with uh, with shopping on the handlebars. No, riding with one arm. He's only got one arm. And he was cycling and they've said, no, it's illegal. This is in... It's not here, incidentally, before you get a bit excited about the whole thing. It's in Cologne. And he was stopped by an overzealous officer who said he was riding dangerously and fined him £25. The policeman claimed that the bicycle breached German safety standards because it didn't have two handbrake levers. Mr Ayonsku had moved one of the levers so he could activate it with his foot. Police have apologised and offered a full refund. Speaking to a German newspaper, he said he was relieved the fine had been dropped. He said, it's great news, I'm very happy. Um, I was, you know, discriminated against, and now it's, it's all wonderful and happy. I don't know how you do things like that, but I suppose this, if you can drive a car with one hand, I see no reason why you, can't, why you can't ride a bicycle. It's the people, though, that I see every day who, who jump... I've started shouting. I have to be honest, it's not, not normally in my remit to start shouting at people, but, uh, but I can't help it. I can't help it. People jumping traffic lights. There's going to be an accident one of these days. There's going to be something absolutely dreadful happening, and then we, we're, we're going to get round there, and, um, and somebody's going to say, well... They, they really should have stopped at the traffic lights, but they don't. If there's a police car there, they do, because they know they're not supposed to jump them. Uh, through the early hours of this morning, starting at 1.50, I got three phone calls from an international phone caller. And uh, Colin has sent me the number. He says, how do you put a stop to idiots like that? You don't answer the phone. You don't answer the phone. It's a, and also, you could put that number into Google, and it would tell you exactly where it, where it emanates from. Exactly where it emanates from. And, uh, in fact, I think we might write that down and try it ourselves. Should we write, write it down? It's a mobile number, is it? No, the producer says it's a mobile number. So, not necessarily international phone caller. But uh, I don't answer the f- Well, in fact, there's a piece in one of the papers today, which is quite, uh, which is quite true, because I've noticed them. More and more of you are not using home phones. Everybody uses mobile. Why would you use the home phone? Do you need your home phone? I've not used my home phone for two years. Nearly three years. I've got the phone line there, and it's connected because my computer goes through it. But I'm not. I haven't used the home phone. For, I don't need to. I've got a mobile phone, and the mobile phone gives me free phone calls, free everything, and I can take it with me into the kitchen. I can go. Well, I can go outside, water the hanging baskets, take the mobile with me. So why do people bother having? Home phones now. You don't need it. Unless you're an elderly person and you perhaps feel safe for having a, having a mobile phone. But I, I purely did it to stop nuisance phone calls. I never answered the phone either. It just went direct to an answer phone. And I'm assuming if you call my phone now, it will go direct to an answer phone. I don't answer it. Haven't answered it. And as I say, it must be about three years now. About three years. So I have very, very low phone bills. <laughs> almost non-existent. Because everything is on the mobile. You don't need to do it at all. But put it in, Colin, on, onto Google. Just write, you, you, you do it. We've decided we don't want to waste our time. Uh, so what you do is you actually put, you know, that in there and then see what it brings up. Because generally it'll say, oh, lots of other people have, have got this as well. Uh, the babyface killers are named and shamed in the paper today. This is a feral gang uh, who stabbed a teenager with a two-foot sword, jailed for 54 Years. Sean McHugh was chased and murdered by five knife-wielding youths for straying onto their turf to do his girlfriend's washing at a laundrette. For straying onto their turf. These are the uh, pathetic gang. Um, this is uh, Reese O'Shaughnessy, uh, Joseph McGill, Corey and Andrew Hewitt, now 14 and 15. They were about 13 at the time. 
pathetic bunch of wasters, aren't they? I mean, really, what an embarrassment to their families. But there again, you know, better off in, inside prison for a total of 54 years. I mean, the gang actually had two 13-year-olds and they took to social media to boast about their crime. So, in other words, retarded as well. I mean, just pathetically stupid people. Andrew Hewitt's pictured here, Corey Hewitt, two inane idiots. You know, you've never seen such uglies in your entire life. And uh, some of the gang, their faces have been obscured in the papers for legal reasons, posed with Corey Hewitt and Andrew, two pathetic waste of spaces. But, uh, you know, does that solve the problem? No, because they're too stupid to understand. They're probably failures at school as well. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Beavers coming back. I like the idea of beaver coming back. Are you interested in that? Apparently so. In a zoo. They want wild beavers put in a zoo. Uh, officials have said, because they're uh, they're threatening other animals. Now, I'd, I didn't know we had beavers back in the wild again, but we have. Defra, responsible for the controversial badger cull, says a family of three, two parents and a juvenile, must be taken into captivity or they might be carrying diseases. They're swimming in an English river. Uh, I can't tell you exactly where the uh, the river is. Oh, it's, uh, the river, the river, it's called the River Otter in Devon which is interesting. And uh, what they want to do is leave the Beavers in the wild. They've got two and a half thousand signatures, as well as the backing of Russell Brand. Ugh, why would anybody waste time with Russell Brand? I can't imagine why anybody takes any notice of him. The man's a complete idiot, I'm afraid. So, uh, so that's why. But they're saying they, they could carry diseases and, and they, they want them put away in, in a zoo or something like that. Do they have beavers in zoo? I'm trying to think, actually, if London Zoo have got beavers. They might have things like that. Uh, 84850... Anna says, love your show still. Morning, Anna. Keep, keep going on about this couple being separated. I feel sure the interfering busybodies will then be shamed into behaving with some humility. All the best. Yes, I hope so. I mean, I just think it's the saddest story ever, don't you? And also the frustration they must be feeling that nobody's helping them. Nobody's on their side. You know, nobody cares about other people. We don't seem to care about other people anymore, do we? I care about other people. I care about other people on a daily basis. I don't care about third-rate NAFO celebrities. I'm not interested in that at all. Couldn't care less what happens to them. Not interested in, you know, the ridiculous Sam Fahir's and her ghastly perfume. You know, she's going around the country meeting her fans as she flogs this tat. You know, I'm not interested in anything like that. But I'm interested in a couple who've been married for 58 years. If Sam Fears can manage to make any relationship last more than 58 days, I'll be surprised. George the Warburton's driver says, I've got two days off now, so I'm going to enjoy the garden. I wanted to message you yesterday, but I was driving, so I waited. Honey has no fat in it, high in calories, because it's loaded with sugar. Yes. And, um, oh, and Don Johnson, Saddam Hussein wasn't beheaded, he was hanged. He said it twice. Did he say it twice? Oh, I can't remember that bit. Yes, I mean, he, he, he was hanged, wasn't he? But did the, um, without putting too fine a point on it, did the head nearly come off? I can't remember if that came off with, uh, with Saddam Hussein. I can't remember half of it. And um, apparently several possible names, says Will, the producer, incidentally, who's now having to send me an email to get himself mentioned on the programme. Times have got that desperate. Uh, a collection of ducks, a brace, a flock in flight, a raft on water, a team paddling on water, or a baddling... He's obviously swallowed a thesaurus or a, an Oxford Dictionary, small junior edition. So a brace of ducks. I think they're a brace if they're hanging up outside a butcher shop. I think that's when they become a brace. I'm pretty certain I've heard people talk about a brace of ducks. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I've just a feeling that a brace of ducks is when they're hanging upside down and you take them home. 
That, that's what I think. If, if I'm wrong, then I apologise to ducks listening everywhere who might have their own union contacting me and talking about it. Oh, look, how lovely. Beatrice and Eugenie out wearing wholly inappropriate outfits. I think one of them, difficult to tell them apart, turned up at Wimbledon the other day. That was exciting, wasn't it? What do you do for a living? Do you do anything for a living? No, you don't. You just turn up in very naff outfits and it just doesn't quite look right. But there again, our Prince Andrew's offspring. <laughs> 30 minutes left of your early breakfast show on LBC with me, Steve Allen. Lisa Aziz will be here with the morning news at 6.30. Nick Ferrari will talk about Murray's disastrous Wimbledon exit at 7. Leon Britton's faulty memory and the time bomb that could shake Westminster. I think this is ticking away and time is running out. The sniffer dogs are out in the search for Madeleine McCann. Dogs from this country. Whether they can pick up a scent seven years on, I don't know. The contestant on The X Factor auditioning for Simon Cowell whilst out on bail for an alleged rape. Uh, Jason Manford telling the world about his testicular cancer fear and the cookie that helps you diet. And, of course, your texts and emails. All of that and more from LBC. I'm Steve Allen. It's all next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. Welcome along. It's uh, Steve Allen's. Oh, the sun's out. Look at that. There you go. As if by magic, we waved the wand and we've made it sunny for you today. And we'll take the temperature up to about 80 degrees. I hate it. Producer's going up to go and sit in Hyde Park. He's threatened to wear his shorts, so I've called the police. Just in case, I think that thing should not... You shouldn't be allowed to do things like that. Bad enough with uh, James O'Brien's producer wearing shorts the O2 to go and see Monty Python. But uh, people wearing shorts... When you're ginger, you can't wear shorts. You're too pale. Too pale. So he's going to come back tomorrow. He's going to look like poached salmon, isn't he, by the time we get to tomorrow. going to be this sort of red, blotchy kind of colour. Which is a colour I go. I just don't tan. But why should I worry? I'm a radio presenter. It's LBC. All of that and more between now and half past. Every time I look at sort of... Tennis, and, and every time I look at the, the fervour and the excitement that goes on in this country about tennis and the fact, as I said earlier, that every single council tennis court, the length and breadth of the land, only during Wimbledon, the rest of the year they sit there and grass grows and the weeds grow. But at Wimbledon, everybody gets out there to start playing tennis. Perhaps they're inspired. I don't know. Perhaps they're inspired and they're excited by the fact that we might have won Wimbledon. And then, as I predicted yesterday on the programme, I mean, it was, it was an uncanny prediction. Too much publicity, very little action. You need to be out there rehearsing. You need to be at the top of your game. And quite clearly, Andy Murray was not at the top of his game. But we don't seem to encourage young people, do we? Every year, and this has gone back, you know, even with sort of David Lloyd talking about it on LBC 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Why don't we have more people coming through? And the answer is that many clubs don't encourage young people to go there. Uh, many kids get bored with it because you've got to be dedicated. You've got to be dedicated. We just don't seem to be interested in being sports men and women now. How many people did we see at the Olympics who got through, got their gold, and then went, I think I want to be an actress now, or I think I want to be a, a, a personality. And you think, oh, so in other words, it was just a waste of time. There's no inspiration, is there? There is no, there is no sort of incentive for people to go forward because you could have to train. If you're a 12, 13-year-old who happens to be particularly good at tennis, you might have to train for, you know, seven or eight years. There isn't the dedication. You go to other countries, there is the dedication. People go there, and from school, they learn. That's why the Russians do so well at the gymnastics, because the kids are trained from about three and four years old. So by the time they get to ten, they're almost a world-class standard. 
Much, much better than we could ever be. It turns out that there's not really a lot we can... Oh, God, what is she wearing? Sorry, the more I look at uh, Princess Beatrice, you suddenly realise what the word unattractive is on her clothing. She's got no idea what clothing to wear. And her and Eugenie turn up to just about anything now. They do sound like characters, don't they? Out of... uh, either last of the summer wine or something like that but uh, they just they don't seem to do anything at all they're a bit sort of empty vessels as far as i'm concerned dave says a brace a pair of animals tied together uh and a brace is the cordon strap that holds the two animals as for ducks you probably tie them together if they were dead that's what i said there you go see you see a brace of pheasant brace of ducks i suppose you have a brace of just about anything you you like actually brian says a brace of ducks simply means two ducks Steve, we seem to have lost our courtesy and respect for others. Yes, is this is this going back to the uh, to the old people? Yes, I probably agree. I bought tomorite. Uh, as you say, it's so good. The instructions say only water the base of plants. Do you put it all over? What would you put it all over there for? Of course, you're watering the base of plants. You're watering the soil with tomorite. Good lord, honestly, please grow up. Um, another one here, Ron says, read the Gumtree scams. A family I know paid a £1,000 deposit to move into a house on a certain day. Turns out the couple that were living there in the council house had conned 20-plus people of a grand each, then did a midnight flit with 20 grand in their pockets and leaving all those people nowhere to move into and £1,000 poorer. The thieving couple were caught but got a suspended sentence. It's so easy now, isn't it? It's so easy to do things like that, and that's why it's so, so sad, really. So sad that people go... Just be very, very careful. If somebody asks you for money and uh, and you've got nothing to show for it... You know, if somebody said to me... I mean, I would never dream of going on to Gumtree. I wouldn't be doing it anyway. And renting a flat and then sending money off to somebody for a flat you hadn't even visited. I would want to go there in the company of the person who was going to take your deposit. Not do it over the blooming internet. It's never going to happen, is it, really? It's just not going to work out. So you have to be very, very careful... There are people who will cheat you. Uh, Colin says, the corner display says it's international. You should ring it yourself. Uh, no, just put it in onto Google. Just put it in. It'll tell you exactly where it comes from. It's as simple as that. It's not, not complicated. Uh, Christine is, uh, is trying to get me to follow her on, on Twitter, I think. I hardly follow anybody on Twitter. I'm one of these uh, people. I'm, I'm not... I do do Twitter. I do do tweets. And and I do follow a few people. They're very few and far between. Little Julie says, I hope there's a happy ending for the couple. Love holds no bounds. I hope so in their case. But he said he's, he's willing to spend all the life savings. He's willing to spend everything to make sure that he will not be beaten by these bureaucrats. And I kind of want to be with him. I kind of want to be there with him every step of the way. Because you think to yourself, he's an 82-year-old man. He's probably floundering in bureaucracy and wondering why it is at the end of his life and the end of his wife's life, people are making life so difficult. When it should be the best time, shouldn't it? It should be the time that you're by yourself. OK, so she's, uh, she's not very well. But, you know, you can get care at home. They can help him out. It's not, it's not difficult, really. Problem with mobiles nowadays, says Helena, is that most of the networks are saturated. Reception is awful now. People are always calling LBC using mobiles, and so often you can barely hear what they're saying, and then they just cut out. Yes, well, I think that's because many people are moving. I mean, I have never had my phone cut out. Of course it varies across the country. Of course it varies across the country. And I, I sometimes wonder, I mean, the worst place for me is Richmond Station, believe it or not. You come into Richmond Station and immediately, no phone signal. Nothing. It just goes completely. And I don't know whether that's on everybody else's network. I realised it before when I was on the phone to somebody. 
and, and it just cut out. And that's the only time. And so now I look at the phone, coming to Richmond Station, nothing, no service. You, can't, you go through the other side of it, and you've got to go practically onto Twickenham Bridge before the, uh, the signal comes back again. So that I find a little bit frustrating. I just find people on the phones, on trains, frustrating, full stop. I want to buy a gadget that jams the phone. I want to literally have a little button I can push in my hand, and they'll, they'll go on the phone, and all of a sudden it clicks off. There was a guy on the phone the other day. He was having the most pointless conversation. It was a conversation that, I mean, to be honest with you, I've heard three-year-olds have more intelligent conversations. It was just nothing. Oh, so should I come over on Saturday night? What, what, what should I bring? I'm thinking, who are you talking to? Is this your probation officer? You know, I just didn't understand what, you know, could this conversation not have waited? And then another woman, oh, yes, it's me again. Three times she phoned on the phone. Oh, God, I nearly went over there and took the phone and threw it out the window. Nearly. I actually prevented myself from doing this by sitting there thinking, think happy thoughts. So I thought happy thoughts. And, uh, and, then I, and again, I thought picking up her phone and throwing it out the window again. So that didn't last. Uh, Jeanette Kupferman has uh, done a, a piece on Rolf. He came to dinner, met her children, even sang to her dying husband and a shell-shocked neighbour's very personal portrait of Rolf, the friend who left me betrayed and heartbroken. And that's what everybody seems to say, isn't it? The height of his crimes, he came to dinner and sat there, but silent and depressed. Now, I wonder, was his conscience tormenting him? And so she's, uh, she's sort of sold her story, I suppose, on Rolf Harris, as indeed everybody will. That's what's going to happen now, isn't it? More and more people are going to sell stories on Rolf Harris and where they met him. Uh, front page of The Sun this morning, a contestant on The X Factor successfully auditioned in front of Simon Cowell whilst on bail over an alleged rape. Show boss Simon and the other judges were unaware that the 24-year-old singer was under investigation by the police. Well, I shouldn't imagine that comes up, does it, when you go there for your audition? They're not actually going to be saying, oh, by the way, are you, are you, are you investigated by the police at the moment? You know, is anything going on in your life? And the answer is they probably don't know. So that's why nothing was said, but it gives the sun a front page. 14 past six. They all went the other day, didn't they, to Wimbledon to watch uh, Murray crash out. Wills and, uh, and his wife and uh, Trevor McDonut, Michael McIntyre and Cliff Richard went again. Obviously Cliff Richard's just got a free pass for Wimbledon. He just goes, I don't know why he goes there all the time. I think he likes tennis. Didn't he, he used to play with Sue Barker, didn't he? I mean, tennis. He used to play tennis with Sue Barker. And uh, oh, that was quite nice, actually. Um, other stories in the paper today. It's uh, the backlash against Rolf Harris. The sentencing tomorrow. The mother who spent £28,000 on an original painting. Uh, so he must have amassed a fortune. Because he's been painting and selling his paintings for a long, long time. And now she says, what's it worth? What is it worth? And the answer is, it's only worth what... I mean, put it this way, unless you're thinking of selling it, just hang on to it. Just hang on to it. I don't know what's happened to the portrait of the Queen, whether that one is still uh, still on display. I'm really not sure about that one. I try not to sort of worry too much about things like that, because I'm assuming he must have thousands of pictures out there. There must be in... There was an art gallery, wasn't there, I think, when he was first charged, that got, uh, got desecrated by somebody. Uh, there's a bit of a sun campaign going on. They sort of set up their own little beach the other day. Um, it looks as though it was on the top of a bus, because I couldn't imagine you could just sort of set up a beach. And so they went down there, uh, urging David Cameron to cut VAT on UK holidays. Because we don't do UK holidays anymore, do we? We proved that the other day, that all we do, we want to go abroad. We want guaranteed sunshine. We don't want to uh, just sort of sit here, I'm afraid. The ex-boyfriend of Big Brother, former Vice Girl Helen Wood, tried to flog guns to uh, to gangsters, we're told. Honestly, every day there's another... 
Another bizarre story in the papers. And there's a story of two girls as well who took revenge on their alleged love rat by hanging a banner over the A1 telling him he was dumped. It lasted about an hour before motorway servicemen came and took it out. And so both of them were going out with him, Angela, Nicola, and um, Angela, on holiday in Spain with... uh, But Mum Beatrice says each found out that they were the other woman. And you look at a picture of this bloke and you think, you don't even look as though you could pull a twiglet. I mean, it's really the most bizarre people that they go for. Really the most bizarre people. Uh, Other stories in the page... Oh, yes, I I tried not to mention the fact that Justin Bieber got a bit carried away and tweeted a naked selfie of himself. Not completely naked. It's, uh, it's, It's within the bounds of decency. It's only what you'd see if you went to a swimming pool. But it's the fact that he's just obviously suffering from a dearth of publicity. Uh, Harry Styles has apparently got himself another tattoo. It's so funny, actually, because when he first started, he had no tattoos, and now he's looking so old and haggard, and he's put more tattoos on his body. I'm sure people like them, if you like that kind of thing. Um, Sniffer Dogs, set to sweep the cars of two suspects, quizzed over Madeleine McCann. What, seven years on? You know, seriously, there's going to be a trail seven years on. I mean, even I'm not naive enough to think that that's going to uh, going to be happening. Four men have been quizzed this week in Faro as part of this uh, new Metropolitan Police probe. They weren't quizzed by the Metropolitan Police. They were quizzed by Portuguese police. And even though the Met were allowed in there, they were not allowed to talk to them. Uh, to a Russian. And uh, they've named them, actually. They've actually named these people. I'm innocent until proven otherwise. There'll be people who will be picking up on this, I should imagine. Each was asked a list of 253 questions, including, did you kill Madeleine? Hardly likely to sort of uh, admit to it now. Bethany Townsend, picture going viral, allowed, to be ex- allowed me to accept my colostomy bag. So she tweeted a picture, which you know was in the papers yesterday. The Domino's pizza staff, I find this deeply disturbing, who bought uh, potato wedges from Aldi for 59p and flogged them for £3.49. A worker was snapped getting the frozen snacks at the nearby budget supermarket when the firm ran out of its own wedges. I find that difficult to believe, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm a little bit too cynical in this day and age. I'm thinking somebody goes, listen, because they're, they're all franchises. So Domino's is a, is a franchise. And so, as I pointed out before, lots of chicken shops, which were Kentucky, had their licences taken away by Kentucky because they were doing it on the cheap to make more profit. You have to buy... The reason that they've got the franchise is you have to buy from them. So I should imagine the bags that they're buying in certainly aren't at 59p. So if you go to Aldi, then you sell them for three forty nine. Bosses at the fast food giant in uh, West Lothian, uh, Linlithgow, uh, they blamed Wimbledon and the World Cup for high demand. Yeah, but I think it's being dishonest, isn't it? Because they're expecting Domino's potato wedges. And I'm assuming that wherever Domino's get them for, from, there must be, a, you know, a company there selling them for loads of other people. But, uh, you know, did you tell them they were Aldi? Did you adjust the price? Did you just say, listen, they're, we will give you wedges, but they're only 60p, 60 pence now. They're not £3.49. But to actually charge £3.49 is, is misrepresentation and it's fraud, as far as I'm concerned. A spokesman said that uh, the, the Lithlingau store was faced with no wedges. We don't advocate this as a solution. I should think not. It's called cheating the public. It's called cheating the public. So they've spoken to the store to ensure ordering has been adjusted. Yeah. Put it this way, I mean, d- did Wimbledon come as a bit of a surprise to them in this particular store in West Lothian? Did, did, um, did the World Cup come as a bit of a surprise to them? 
They're not, in, they're not incredibly bright, are they, then up there? You'd thought they'd have realised, because they must have been there before, but then to go out and buy it, as I say, cheaper, and then flog it at your inflated prices is fraud, I'm afraid. So, shouldn't be frequenting that Domino's Pizza ever again. Oh, look! Haven't seen her for a while. Amy Willerton. Who? I know, I know. She, she's pictured on a beach with her photographer. It's lovely, isn't it? Lovely. And women prisoners are threatening to strip naked to protest at limits on the number of bra and knickers they can own. These are prisoners we're talking about, aren't they? They're going to com- plan to do a commando day where they will go starkers to vent fury. Do what you like in prison, love. You can stay there and rot as far as I'm concerned. Take all your clothes off, walk around, start naked. Nobody cares. Oh, worst picture of the day. Imelda Marcos. You remember that thieving old woman, don't you, with her husband? Oh, yes. With her husband here, who apparently is embalmed. And so she went there. It's the 85th birthday gift to kiss the embalmed tyrant. This is the man who systematically, with his wife, Imelda, robbed a country. They thieved, they stole, they did everything. He was a brutal dictator, proclaiming herself to be poverty-stricken. Shoe lover, Mrs Marcos, surprised she's still living, wore gems worth a fortune. She uh, emerged from her private rooms at the Marcos family palace to visit the tomb of her late husband, Ferdinand, toppled after a 20-year reign of terror. I had no idea the old tyrant was still embalmed. I wish they'd embalmed her as well at the same time, and I felt a lot better about life. Uh, Shane Warne got a new girlfriend out on the town, and for Cheryl Cole, why I, because I'm worth it? Yes, for her birthday, Simon Cowell booked her some strippers. And that was uh, at the Edinburgh audition, and uh, Cheryl, oh, why eh? I'm from Newcastle. Strip, strip for me now, strip for me now. And then try to look shocked afterwards. Yeah, right, love. You're fooling nobody. You fool nobody with your act, I'm afraid. And uh, my thanks to Tina, who says, I became very much one of your listeners when I was uh, diagnosed with advanced cancer, which had spread to my lymph nodes. I had a tough year of chemo, baldness, major surgery, post-surgical infection, radiotherapy. And listening to you kind of cheered me up a bit. And so here I am, the other side. And uh, I have a, a quite a serious job. I prefer not to say what it is, so I now listen to you with great enthusiasm, and uh, because I get up early, and what I don't manage to hear, I podcast, which is what I advise everybody to do. If you podcast, you go to lbc.co.uk, you download the app, every day we have a free podcast for you up before seven o'clock, which is our gentle chiding of a few third-rate celebrities, which you know we have a a penchant for. If you're easily upset by uh, some of your favourite celebrities being reduced to nothings, then you'll enjoy the programme, Uh, or failing that, you mustn't listen to it ever again, but... uh, Loads of you do. Thank you very much indeed. And then the other podcast is also up before seven, which is the programme. But we take out the ads and the news and everything else and you just get the programme. So you just get to hear these bits, which I'm saying now. So that's well worth it. And join the rest of our happy band. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Allen Show. At Steve Allen Show. Tomorrow being Friday and after we've uh, managed to get through today and we've managed to get through the, uh, the heat because it's going to go up to 80 degrees... Uh, tomorrow we'll have some clips of our special guests for In Conversation this week. I'm not going to tell you who it is just yet. I do know who it is, actually, just in case you thought he's forgotten. I haven't forgotten. I know exactly who it is. But I'm going to save it till tomorrow. We'll have two clips of that, and that'll be for the In Conversation programme on Sunday. Uh, one's a comedian, and one isn't. That's all, I'll, that's all I'll tell you, so you've probably got a rough idea. So have yourself a very nice day. If you are going out in the sun, remember to wear sun cream. If you're going to sit in a park, remember to put a hat on or something like that. If you've got little children out there, then definitely make sure that they've got loads of sun cream on. The sun factor will be out. A friend of mine, John, is going away to... Where's he going to? Greece, I think. He's bought Sun Factor 50. 
I said I wasn't even aware they did Sun Factor 50. Anyway, have a lovely, lovely day. Please do not forget to download the app. It's free on the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. Nick Ferrari and the team and call Clegg here at 7. Up next, the morning news, Lisa Razzini.